to episode number 28 of Red River Podcast. Yes. So uh, today we are back at the Parker uh, compound <laughs> in an undisclosed area. Um, surrounded of, by toys. Surrounded by toys, yes. definitely, as usual. Um, and today we have Chris uh, Zamfanakis. Tompanakis. Tompanakis. <laughs> Close. Ah, <laughs> no, nah, not really. I wasn't really close at all. I was so. being nice. But uh, yeah, so we have Chris uh, uh, from the band's Guy Came Falling, uh, One Day Savior too. Um, what else have, have you been, been doing? What was the last band? Wasn't it like Divider? Yeah, Divider. Divider. Okay, so I figured, like, like I was telling you before, um, you guys are playing February 23rd, like a big fucking Sky Came Falling reunion, and I figured it'd be a lot of fun to have you in, just chat with us and talk all the nonsense that we like to talk about so welcome cool. yeah thanks thanks for having me thanks for coming out has parker always liked toys <laughs> parker spent a lot of time in the van watching movies that's um, true so there wasn't a lot of room for toys but uh -huh. i think when we first met parker had a uh a fake arm <laughs> that was <laughs> that when we used to hang out of his window uh of his house at his parents house and we used to pick him up and then the fake arm moved from hanging out of his window to hanging out of the bass drum when we played shows. That's awesome. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. What, what what was the fake arm about? I don't even know. I don't even know where the fuck <laughs> I got like that. Is it like a De Def Leppard homage? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I don't even remember where I got that from. Is that just in case you lost it in a car crash? You Maybe. Got an extra, you uh, know, a backup arm? You never know. But I actually don't think I ever... Maybe once was inside your house. Yeah. I don't ever think I went inside your house. Chris was afraid of my dad. So he he never made it up the flight of stairs. Right, my my yeah, father always used to greet him at the door like, "Who the fuck is this fucking asshole?" <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that, being a friend with Parker meant you were also a part of his taxi service. Yes. So that was, yep. that was a big deal. You used to just stop in front, beep the horn, he'd come uh, and I come running out. Yeah. Oh, so it wasn't like a hangout house. No, because some people yeah. have hangout houses. Absolutely. Like yeah. for me, yeah. like my mom, like my mom was tolerant of everything. As long as we did it in the house, you know, like you could have so like, know where you are. You could have like orgies. You could do drugs. <laughs> like we used to get fucked up on everything, and and tell her that we were drinking because mm -hmm. she's like, "Oh, drinking's okay," but it was <laughs> definitely not drinking. So right, right. you know, and uh, so we would always hang out there, and and it was fucking chaos. So shout out to my mom who's yes. probably drunk right now, <laughs> keeping it real. Every crew needs one mom like that. Everyone, every crew, yeah, yeah you do. Because, yeah. like, whenever you can hang out at Parker's house, you just go to, like, Anna's house. Exactly. And, like, Sam's there, and, like, no one questions anything. I remember I used to, like, bang chicks, and, like, uh, like my mom would knock on the door. And if I was, like, having sex with a girl, I'd be like, I'm busy. And she'd be like, all right, no problem. <laughs> she'd, like, go away. So, like, that's, you know, I never want kids because kids are evil and they take a lot of work. So, But if, if I was ever a parent... Uh, that's the way I would be very negligent. <laughs> so completely, that's how I would raise my kids. I feel you. You know, I um, do my best. I really wanted to talk about something in the beginning because um, I know I'm pretty passionate about it, and and I got Misfits tickets, and that seems yes. to be like the like there's it, it's almost like Trump versus Hillary. It's two camps. You know, it's <laughs> like how could you spend that much for a punk show to like I can't believe I'm actually going to go see the Misfits. So Chris. Uh, what side of the fence are you on? I actually, I'm, I'm not even, I'm on neither side. To be totally honest with you, I was never really a big Misfits fan, um, and I've always kind of thought 
especially as not really being into that genre of music until I got older. Meaning what? Like like just punk pop? Like- yeah, I was never really into punk. Like I, I was into like hardcore, but I came in kind of late into the hardcore scene. Uh, so a lot of the bands that had come before the music that I started to get into were the bands on Long Island that, I mean, it's somewhat blasphemous to say, you know, to a degree, but a lot of the really early hardcore bands that a lot of people that were influenced by, you know, obviously the bands that I was listening to, they would all cite their influences, but I tried to get into that stuff outside of like Minor Threat. I, there was probably very few of those bands that I was really into. Um, and I always kind of liked the ones that were on the outside at the time that weren't cool to like. Like I liked Into Another and, you know, I liked more of the post-hardcore sound, like the bands that came after the bands that were their influential bands. So for me, I grew up... Would have Into Another charged 300 bucks for a ticket. <laughs> so it's just strange to me because yeah. it's it's one of those things where I've always looked at Glenn Danzig as kind of a joke. Like nowadays, like just his antics... It, to me, as much of a Morrissey fan as I am, right? You you accept the okay. fact Perfect. that That's... you have to put those earplugs in when he speaks. Yes. Um great lead in. Because <laughs> if the Smiths reunited that's like the, we would be spending. Yeah, then it, then it, yeah. Th- exactly. They're one of my favorite bands ever. The Queen is dead. Like is one of the best. Like, I cough up the dough for that. You know you, why? Because like <laughs> it's so unique and it's not going to happen again. You know that this they're going to play other shows after this. I don't know. You know it. I don't know. Oh, they're going to make a ton of dough. They're going to put differences aside, play some more shows. But for I hope me, not. for me, I I I didn't wasn't really crazy about and. They're my favorite band of all time, but uh, you got your tat- the Jailhouse one. Well, the Jailhouse tat I covered. It's covered up. I actually ha- got a Jailhouse Misfits tattoo. <laughs> I wanted to be at the venue and get on the mic and be like, "Yo, which one of you fucking eighteen cocks, eighteen thousand cocksuckers in here has a Jailhouse Misfit tattoo?" I guarantee you, the answer is probably like. Maybe one other person, but I doubt. <laughs> There's got to be one other. Yeah, I mean, I covered over because it was fucking terrible. But right. shout out to Mike, Van Grab and Mike, who 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 had three strikes in in '98 when when he did it for me, and he was sent up for life. So, <laughs> <laughs> hope he's doing all right. Ah, uh, probably. <laughs> probably. Maybe not. he's listening. You never know. <laughs> you know? Yo, Wi-Fi. But he's um, like, you didn't want to do it when Danzig was doing a whole bunch of shows. I had tickets to see Danzig, and I don't remember what tour and what year it was, but it was the first time that Doyle was coming back. And the New York show and the Boston show, I believe only they were going to play like a half hour Misfit set. And word got out, went to the show, and it was electric, man. Everybody was singing every word. They see the whole, it was amazing. And then I saw him on the 30th anniversary tour doing Sam Hain, Misfit songs, Danzig songs, and Doyle was there. And it was right before Halloween. It's like it didn't get better than that. So now Jerry Only's back. Who gives a fuck? I hate Jerry Only. I always hated Jerry Only. I see where you're going. You know what I mean? So you got the bass player back, and I'm supposed <laughs> to pay 150 bucks. Danzig singing makes the sound. That's it. Danzig wrote that good shit. His voice is what makes it different than other punk bands to me. So I I seen it, I feel like. But that being said, I if I had a whole bunch of scratch to throw away, I'd probably go because the coolest part would be to hear an arena because people sing those songs yeah. like back. I mean, that's going to be crazy to see that hear that many people sing those fucking songs that loud. So there was nothing about the Misfits that you ever liked, Chris. 
Like there were songs like I had friends that would listen to them and they'd be on and I I every now and again a song would come up and I'll be like oh I know that song or it's usually somebody covering that song like I know the Lemonheads covered a Misfits song so uh, yeah I think they covered Skulls Evan Dando Evan Dando did it solo oh shit and I remember like I have the split yep. where they did the split together Earth, you know Earth, Earth Crisis did Earth AD yep so like album. I know some of the songs and I can like I'm familiar with them it's just not really a band I've ever sat down and gone back to. Gotcha. Um, it's just something where they they kind of came out before. I'm I'm actually more interested in the in their backgrounds as a band, like understanding like who all the members were and piecing mm-hmm. that type of stuff together. Because I think there's such a cool history of that band, especially as he got signed and you know like obviously Sam Hain and and all of that. Like I remember having conversations with people about that. I think I'm more interested in that stuff than I am in the actual mm-hmm. uh, music that they played. Well, when we get him on the podcast, we'll do a whole, you know, breeze through <laughs> yeah, the career. What appealed to me about them is, like, growing up as a metalhead primarily, they they were heavy for me. They were dark with the songs, but so catchy. They, it was so much more melodic than a lot of other punk that was a little abrasive to me at the time that it kind of that's what it was, got me it was, over. The melodies were amazing. And that skull the, fucking is classic. Melodies, you know, as a songwriter, like, you know, we were all in bands, like, the melodies were just the catchiest things. The lyrics about, like, raping your fucking mom and fucking, like, all that other shit, like, like, fucking. You don't know that one? Nah. That's a B-side, I think. Really? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. Every episode, we do peel back a a bit of that that Parker onion, and we have no idea. You wait till you hear my number one for the top five. I I can't wait. It's going to be Weird Al or some shit. (laughs) You know, like, we. He found out he's never seen Metallica. How is that even possible? Really? Yeah. You have seen Metallica. <laughs> I know. And I, he doesn't even like Metallica. No, I'm not he's really been, a fan. Uh, <laughs> I went for Faith No More. There you go. Actually. Uh, that was a okay. great tour. I yeah. showed up for Faith No More, and then I had to sit through Metallica and Guns N' Roses with my friends before we could leave. That was a oh, great Oh, poor you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to see the Deftones play, and they opened up for Godsmack. Mm. Oof. Yeah, <laughs> but luckily they opened though, so you could fucking get the. Yeah. Hell out of oh, we left. Yeah, like yeah. we were just like, the, we, we got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, the, the Misfits were fantastic to me, and and uh, I remember when uh, Joey Ramone died, um, they threw a birthday party for him at the Roseland, and that's when Jerry only got those people back together. So it was like him, Marky Ramone, and Dez from Black Flag. And this was like 2000. I was like, you know what? Like, this is as close as it's going to get. Let's just go. Um, I went with my friend Bob. We have our mutual Farley. Oh, Bob Farley. Yeah, it's yeah. like one of my best friends. Um, so we went there, and I was just talking to him about the show, and this band called the Impotent Sea Snakes opened up. <laughs> and I remember their logo because it was KISS minus the K. ISS, Impotent Sea mm. Snakes. And... And get sued for that? <laughs> I don't know. So they start playing, and then the the act is crazy. So it's very X-rated, and there's a girl doing a split while the, the band's playing, and then this guy sticks, like, a gun dildo inside of her. <laughs> there's people with, like, uh, saw me. Like, yo, this sh- it was wow. the wildest shit. It was everything but GGL and shitting on the floor. And... When they played, this is all I remember. I don't remember the songs. I don't. I'm. Yeah, I, I don't remember any of the songs. But everyone in at the Roseland, 
their jaw. Like, no one said anything. No one moved. <laughs> we were just like, like, you figure I was 22, and I've never seen anything like that at that point. Wow. I'm like thinking, like, people are getting fucked on stage right before. Like, I couldn't believe it. And then but later, you don't remember any of the music if no, no, any good. No, I just remember the ISS, <laughs> and I remember, like, some girl getting fucked. She did a split and got fucked with a gun That's the star of the show. Or Jack nah, thingy. Not the band. But later on, to, to, to realize that Jerry only was, like, such a, like, uh, God thumper, or, you know, Bible thumper, and it's just weird, like, that that was, like, the opening act, and how it wasn't shut down, I, I, I don't know. That's a story I would love to get into, so. Yeah, fuck that guy. But going back, <laughs> so, so the Smiths, like, his let's His devil say, lock's growing from the back of his neck right now. <laughs> let's say the Smiths reunite. Um, and they charge three hundred bucks a ticket. Are you down? Yeah, I'd, I'd be. Down. I think I've paid probably like maybe two hundred to go see Morrissey. So I don't think Did it's you? that far of a stretch. Yeah, I, I believe so. I definitely cough that up for the Smiths. Yeah, no question. When was the last time you saw Morrissey? Uh, I saw him at the Roxy. Uh, maybe it was right around the the release that you were the Quarry. Okay, that was a show I remember. That was, I think, the last record that I liked. The next one was good. It had some moments, but I don't think you ever recaptured. I'd like the another band that I really like the history of is like as the members have kind of moved in and out, like Boz and you know Gary and all those other members. Like where he got into that like rockabilly phase for a little while, Absolutely. which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. And like as people kind of moved in and out, and I think that the you were the quarry record. How long it took to write, and how I feel like that had all hits. Like every song on that, even the B sides are fantastic. Then the next record came out a couple of years later, and it had you know five or six good songs. And the next one came out and had like one I, or two I, good songs. I, I dipped after the one after you were the quarry. Um, I think that's the one with him. Is that Years of Refusal? The one where he's holding the baby? I think I, that yeah, I don't I remember. So. But like yeah. I I didn't like I, I liked you were the quarry. But then like after that I was like pretty much done. And I was never really a huge Morrissey fan. I liked a handful of songs. Uh, but the Smiths were just like far and beyond like anything, and I get it. Like anytime we talk about them on like the podcast group, like you know my friends that Very like hated. yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. Yo man, they fucking shit on them hard. <laughs> like for you real. either like the Smiths or my, you fucking hate them. My boy Nate <laughs> like shitting on them and then posting Bell and Sebastian videos. I know like, what the was, fuck yeah, was that? Like ridiculous. <laughs> like what the fuck. Like, like, that's like the most ridiculous shit I actually ever. got into the Smiths after Morrissey. I heard Morrissey yeah. first because I was of that age that MTV was around. So okay. you got into that first, and then I like backtracked into him, which was interesting. The yeah. first the first Smith song I ever heard was a cover by the Tree People. So What song? <laughs> uh, they did Big Mouth Strikes Again. Oh, oh great geez. one. And so I was good. like, oh, this and is a lyrics. really cool song. The lyrics are t- – like, he's such he's a great lyricist. He's one of the best lyricists ever. Yeah. Very much – okay – where Glenn Danzig is very cartoonish with his violence and his like, uh, it, it, like it's an Mor- art to it. Yeah, Morrissey yeah. is just yeah. like, you know, almost like an like Alkaline Trio later on for me. I think they 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 tapped into that. They tapped into like those like lyrics that are just fantastic. He's just yeah. unique. You it, you can't find another person that writes like that guy that you, has his voice. Can't do, do it. I'm gonna tell you how I got into the Smiths, and you're gonna think I'm a piece of shit, but it's all right because a lot of years have gone by. Is this in the Riverhead Jail? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that was a different one. Um, so put um, a Morrissey tattoo on my other arm. I used to, maybe I might have, you know, been in, in some kind of business where I did certain things, and people gave me money, and I gave them certain things. Mm-hmm. So this person was, uh, you know, hooked on these things. And he had Swedish s- fish. Yeah, he, exactly. he had sweet. He had he had CDs, and he would give me four CDs for a bag of Swedish fish. 
I'm like, okay. So every time he wanted some Swedish fish from me, I would go to his house and I would pick four CDs that I want and I left him a bag of Swedish fish. One of those CDs happens to be uh, the Smiths' greatest hits. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, whatever age I was, man, and and I fucking got it, and it was amazing. Yeah. I was like hooked because I hated the Smiths. I I was like young, and I'm like anything that wasn't Minor Threat or anything like that. Right. Um. And then I heard that, and I was just like, I, just, I don't know. Girlfriend in a Coma was mm-hmm. the one that really stuck out to me. Just it was just great, man. Can't say enough about it. So, yeah. but um, let's talk about Rick Jimenez, uh, our former guest, like Extinction AD, doing fucking awesome. Yeah. Right. Yep. They're they're, t- they're doing uh, what they're playing Irving Plaza with Irving. They're doing with uh, Municipal Waste and Exodus, and then the uh, Long Island show. Another past guest, uh, Dan Lamelli's uh, other band, Carcosa's opening, and then uh, I'm psyched to see that crazy King of the Ring band, which is like dudes dressed as wrestlers playing wrestler songs. And Brian Marr said that he's seen them twice already. So <laughs> if he says that it's good, it's got to be good. So you know, man, you know, are you a wrestling fan? <laughs> No, not no, at all. I, actually, I don't. Even, I don't even think Chris could name like three. wrestlers. I can name old wrestlers, yeah, but I yeah. I stopped watching wrestling in 1990 for me. Yeah. yeah, probably like right around when I discovered music, yeah. and I, you know, later on, like after you know, I started hanging out with people and I got to meet more people that I knew, and even Parker. I started to discover that there's this whole group of people that yeah. still are that are older and love wrestling, and it's. I remember a couple of people coming up to me and being like, hey, do you like wrestling? And I was like, when I was like 10. (laughs) And they were like, oh, because we all get together and we go to this person's house to watch. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not into that. Dude, like those, like Rick and Dan Turr, like they have like legit like wrestling parties. Dan Turr with his 28th mention. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You wait to hear what my number five is, speaking of Dan Turr. Um and they have these legit wrestling parties with like they all dress up and like they come out. To, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like they come out to like fucking theme music and like, <laughs> yeah, like it's legit, man. Y'all invite me to this. Yeah, Please. I remember being like, you know, it's fake, right? Yeah, and it's funny because um, the kid Andrew that's playing second guitar for us, he got. I I don't know if he was ever into wrestling, but he watches wrestling now because his two younger daughters watch it. Right. So they kind of suckered him in. So. It's pretty funny. How, I, you you know, know, more power to you if, you if you could find entertainment in anything, especially Absolutely. something as amazing as wrestling, yeah. to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just always find it fascinating. But, yeah, listen, more power to you. I, I was watching Flavor of Love last night, so there you go. I can't really, I can't really talk. Dating naked. Foofy, foofy. Dating naked is actually pretty good. I, I, I mentioned I'll take it. your word for yeah. it. <laughs> so, um, but I, I think it's really cool. We were talking about, like, Rick's band. And like uh, we got to get them back on, but like to yes. to be blessed. I don't know how they got on the Exodus show, but I feel like it's such a good thing for them because the Exodus is such a you know like a grandfathered in fucking thrash band, yeah. and and that audience get and then municipal municipal waste is right in the middle, you know, and then yep. they get to see like the New York Extinction AD band, and I. I you know, I feel like it's 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 a nice cosign. It's a great show for them. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I will I will be there. Because Exodus is like the first thrash band, really. And you go back to all that stuff. You know, yeah. Hammett came out of there and in the Bay Area. But uh, and Municipal Waste is so good that they're not even... If they came out back in the day, in the hot heyday of thrash, they'd still be right up there. Yeah. It's not like they're just, oh, a revival band. You know what I mean? So yeah. So it's a and, great lineup. And then, you know, speaking of, of Exodus, uh, Gary... 
being in Slayer. Are you a Slayer fan or not? No. Wow. Perfect. Cool. We're hitting. <laughs> you mind if we talk five. for a minute though? Over two. <laughs> so, um, you know, Slayer's doing a, a going away tour. And uh, I guess, you know, Gary's going to have more time to play with Exodus, which I guess, I don't know if that's good or bad for him, but... Uh, it's I, definitely a pay cut. W- yeah. <laughs> I don't... Maybe not. I don't it know. might not be, yeah. yeah. The way that those friggin' guys deal with people, you know? I got to see who's in the band. He might be, like, the only original member, so he might I, have it like that. So, so I think Chris is ready to say goodbye to Slayer anyway, right? <laughs> uh, Honestly, I think maybe I've heard Slayer maybe, like, once or twice. I don't no, even know it, if I can name a song. No. <laughs> So there, there was like, but there's nothing about it that makes you want to listen to it. I was it's never really impressive. big into like metal. Like the early stuff that I heard was mostly like hair metal, and I liked like like the ballads that every band had to have at that time period. And then I will touch really on that. Okay. I did get tickets. So I I didn't get tickets. My wife got tickets yesterday for us to go see uh, Tom Kiefer. I don't even who was awesome. that. I saw singer of Cinderella. Cinderella. Oh, okay. So that's. Really? Yeah. Supposedly his shows are I heard pretty good. through, like, once again, good. another past guest, Neil Rubenstein, that his show is great. He goes, it's worth every penny. He goes, I had him at Emporium. I had him at Revolution. The guy does a great show. So 25 bucks general admission. It's well, fr- that, 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 the venue is great. Yeah. A coworker of mine was just telling me they're going to see Great White and Slaughter this weekend. Oh, sick. Where? Midwest, uh, Midwest. Which sounds like it's, it's probably an outdoor fair i don't know it's <laughs> <That's> awesome state <laughs> fair yeah that's a- there was a, a clip of great white and obviously not the bad one but the one after because it's just like the singer now and um i guess they were supposed to play at the end of some game uh, it was a stadium and uh the <laughs> <laughs> the crowd had the option to just stay after the game and watch great white right so there's footage on oh, YouTube, I think I've seen this shit. and it's a like a pretty big like stadium, and there's probably like no joke, maybe like ten people in front of them. Oh, oof. Wow! And uh, it that di- hurts. I'll tell you what, that band still played like there was a th- <laughs> twenty thousand in there. <laughs> Did so. he do any like call and response? Like, yeah, how he- you people feeling tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. Yo, <laughs> make he, out he, one, guys. He did, and and <laughs> you know, I think it's it's got something to do with like he's just, probably programmed to do yeah. that. Like, <laughs> I wonder if like the beer How here you guy doing, stayed. Uh, uh, Milwaukee, uh, where are we? Uh, <laughs> man, but uh, so growing up, what, what what did you like? What got you into music? So, I was actually talking about this today. I think that. First, just watching MTV, like that's how I got. I mean, my dad's records, obviously, my parents' age, right? records. Yeah, I was yeah. so seventy-eight. Yeah, I was born. So my my dad always had records around the house, and I always used to listen to them. So I first started listening to like Sabbath and Santana and that stuff that my dad had on. But my mom was really into like the Carpenters. So I was, you know, and we had Beatles records, which they both agreed on. So I started listening to that when I was younger just because I was like obsessed with like the record player because mm-hmm. of like just that I could take out a record and put it on. Um, and then when MTV came out, I started just a lot of these bands like there wasn't 120 minutes yet. So but I'd see bands like R.E.M. And I remember loving that band. And I remember the song Orange Crush coming out and thinking it was about the soda. And because um, <laughs> I was young that I was like, oh, this is, I guess, about that. And again like Morrissey I remember seeing the video for every day is like Sunday but I didn't have any context I didn't know what a genre was I didn't know like I remember seeing Cure videos and Depeche Mode videos 
And then eventually that music kind of segued into Nirvana exploding. And that was probably my first real, like, wow. Like, I really, something about that song spoke to me. And I was like, it's the same. This is different. Isn't it funny, like, how Nirvana really was like that band, regardless of how you feel about them now or how you look back. But, like, there's something that happened. And that record came out, and it spoke like we're the same age, and it seemed like the world changed overnight. The whole yeah. music landscape, and even bands that were older, like the Sonic Youths or Dinosaur Junior, mm-hmm. like they were, they benefited from that. Yeah, like, I, I I hung on every word that if the the good thing about Kurt Cobain was during a lot of his interviews, he was often like, I don't know why you guys are not listening to these other bands, these bands that, that, you know, I like. So I would look for these bands. I would go and I'd find like, if he named, that's how I found dinosaur junior. That's how I found, um, Shonen knife. Mm. That's how I found like L seven. Like there were so many bands that he was mentioning. And, and that kind of led me down that rabbit hole of like writing to record labels and getting back like their catalogs. And then just reading all the descriptions and being like, oh, I'm just going to order this. And that's where I got really into like underground Seattle scene. And funny enough, my father owned a deli when I was growing up. And one of the um, one of the guys that one of the kids that used to work there after school. So what, like, what town did you grow up in? I grew up in a small like Williston Park right outside Mineola. OK, so my father owned a deli not far away from our house. And after school, I would go there. And, you know, I'd help clean up and, you know, help customers and whatever. And we had a a kid that used to come after school who was older. I was maybe like, I mean, probably what, 14, 13, 14. And he might have been eight, 17, 18. And he would come and he'd clean up after class. And he was like, oh, I heard that you like music. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, um, what do you like? And Nirvana had broken. And I was like, I, I, like, I really like this band Nirvana. And he's like come back tomorrow and I'll make you a tape. And he had Bleach because he was into that band before they exploded. So I got a copy of Bleach like almost immediately. And I remember just being like, there's other music outside of the stuff that's being played on TV. And he dubbed you a cassette. And he dubbed me a copy of that. That guy loved you. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Like there's just this whole genre or this whole just community of musicians. And my father owned another business that around the corner was Mr. Cheapo's. So nice. I would always go over there and I would like name bands that I wanted and they would like look them up in a, in a, actually in a catalog at the time that was like a big distro catalog that they had and they would order this stuff for me. So I would go there and they'd call me like a week later and be like, Hey, your, your, your tape showed up and I'd be like, Oh my God. And I'd run over there and spend all my money on that. And, and there was nothing better. And listen, you know, you posted that thing about CDs not being sold anymore, Best right. Buy, whatever. But part of me is sad, but the other part of me just knows that time goes on. Yeah. Regardless, like, you're, you're you know, we're going to be dead. <laughs> like, you know, everything ends. 
It's just that's the way it goes. Technology just moves on, and you know, soon somebody will be mourning Spotify. You know. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, it's like, man, remember when we just had it on our phone? Now yeah. it's fucking microchip. Well, if it gets better than Spotify, bring it on. because yeah. that shit rules. <laughs> it's impossible. I mean, yeah. I know you guys have touched on it before, but I feel like I'm less patient. That's, I think, the biggest problem I have is like. When a band, I remember going to Tower Records, buying Nine Inch Nails, Downward Spiral, and not liking it at first, on first listen. But I knew that I'd spent my $10 on this tape, and it was the only $10 I had, so I was going to stick with that record until I fell in love with it. You fucking nailed it. And now, even if it's a band that I like, and I'm not saying love, because if it's a band that I love, I really will spend the time to try to get to know it a little bit more. But if it's a band that I'm just sort of on the fence about, I'll listen to one or two songs. If they don't catch me right away, I just move right on. That's yeah. the worst I understand part. That. that is the worst part about it. But you nailed it on the head. Like you, you, you go and you, you buy a fucking CD or a cassette, and you're like, ah, oh, shit. You know what? I can't believe like I only like one song. I'm gonna listen to it like 30 times. Yeah, <laughs> I fucking that's true. like it. I never thought and of it's it that way. not going to leave my car. You there right. was only like two or three car tapes that you kept in the car. Right. And like that's how I ended up liking "Life Won't Wait" by Rancid. Like, I fucking loved An Outcome of the Wolves, and then Life Won't Wait came out, which was completely fucking different, but one day I had it in my work car, and that's all I listened to, and uh, it, it took me, like, months, but I'm like, all right, I, I think I get it now. That's out the window now. I appreciate that fact of it. That makes a lot of sense. I never thought of it that way, but I guess, for obviously, we're all lifelong music fans, but, like, having spotify at the touch of a fingertip is it's like dropping a coke head off at pablo escobar's house yeah. it's just like oh my it's like with like different piles i can't take it yeah I, anything i love it yeah. it's constantly on at work it, I, I love it it's it but that is it, that is the thing if if it doesn't catch you in the first few songs uh but even when i am listening do you have spotify yeah okay uh what do you think of it i like it i mean i think that i find it it's kind of like cable TV at this point, right? It's like you have Flipping 700 channels. channels. Yeah. So it's like, but half the time I'm like, I don't know what to listen to. So I'm just consistently listening to the same stuff mm-hmm. over and over. I've discovered a couple of bands from it, which I think is pretty cool, where it'll be like, oh, you know, like you've listened to this. So why don't you check out that? Like, I, I do like that aspect of it, but I miss a lot of times where I find myself hopping around and not trying to listen to an album like full, like yeah. in it in, in its entirety, which is what I remember, like, physically getting up to have to change the CD in the house or flip the record over or stuff like that. Like, you put it on, you listen to it, you saw it all the way through, but then again, there weren't as many distractions. Like, now it's like, you know, I'll put on a song or two and then, you know, I have a meeting or something will come up or whatever that is, that distraction. But back then, I just remember being able to just sit down and listen to records, like, in their entirety, just laying in bed with headphones in, like, yeah, on. Yeah, you just put it on. That's it. What do you think the remedy for that is? Is there any? That's still pretty much why I still buy records on vinyl that I like. That because I can actually do that and just put them on and listen to them and enjoy them. We, Robin, my fiance, and I actually, uh, she bought the newest City in Color, and I remember her not liking it at first and letting me listen to it and being like, I don't really know if I like this. And we listened to it a couple more times. Then we saw them live, and I was like, I really, I really like these songs. Work. But I hadn't done that in a really long time. Like, if I don't like the record, I just either, if I buy it, I just sell it. But if I listen to it on Spotify a couple of times, there's been so many records that I'm just like, had totally forgotten about. And I'm like, I have to go back to that because 
it just slips completely off your radar. And with how many things are consistently coming out, you're just it's like a barrage of information. Yeah, absolutely. And and another thing too, it's like um, you know most of us have Spotify on our phone. That's how we use it. Uh, obviously, you put it on TV and all that other stuff. But everything comes through your phone. It's like you get a mm-hmm. text message. Oh, okay. Like you get Facebook. You get an email. You get a phone call. So it's like every fucking distraction, like yeah. once you're looking and you're not like, oh my God, I have to rewind that song. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like movies though. You know, when I start watching a movie, I got to put, I got to throw my phone on the other side of the fucking right. room. Otherwise I see it pop up. I'm like, oh yeah, I was waiting for this. Like right. I'm waiting for like. And you miss like 15 minutes in a movie. You know? yeah. This is why I hate going to the movies nowadays. I find that people just can't put their phones away. Mm-hmm. It drives me bananas. I'm like, you're Saturday not afternoon. that important. You can't <laughs> you can't go two hours without needing to see what is like going on. It drives me crazy. I've I tell people all the time, like I've gotten up, I've told people like you've got to turn your phone off because it's just it 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 drives me mad to the point that I'm I I start focusing on that. And not the movie that I'm actually watching, and I love going to the movie. Me too. Mm-hmm. I love. I to this. Day, I love it. Um, I I have access. You know, I have the Fire Stick. You know, it may or may not be jailbroken, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but there's certain things that I just. It just. It'll never replace sitting in a fucking movie theater, with like. And I'll gladly spend. Well, not gladly, but I'll, I'll buy that seven dollar popcorn because, <laughs> you know. And when I, in Rome. <laughs> when in fucking Rome. <laughs> Yet it's always gone by the time the movie starts because there's like 18 coming yeah, attractions. Yeah, 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 I'm just like fucking sitting there. I kind of like to go for the coming attractions though. I'm always like, oh. It's... I don't go if we miss the coming attractions. <laughs> like really? if Yeah. Wow. And that's st- beyond like a personal quirk that's like probably, like if you're my girlfriend, she's probably just like you're a moron. <laughs> but if I miss the coming attractions, I'm bummed. I like it. I don't know why. The, I just, it seems so long now because when it used to be like three, used to be three. Now, now it's like yeah. twenty minutes. Yeah, you know. And they have the commercials before, like the local businesses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yes, that yep. stuff that goes on, that or the more. they try to make it uh, interesting, so they do those like the trivia before, right. yeah. like, like the the things that'll go. Yep. What happened to "Let's Go into the Lobby" song? Bring that back. Um, so w- all the bands that you named are very melodic you know so i'm I'm just trying to like gauge you know from from the stuff that i know from sky came falling which uh vocally is very aggressive when did uh that taste start forming i so being in williston park mineola was just the next town over so i had some friends actually my friend jen who i grew up with her older brother and sister used to go to the angle which was hotel leningrad which was where they did uh, like Artie Philly booked shows, and I believe Artie Shepard was booking the shows there. So they started to get into bands, and they would like buy a record or two, and then we'd take it back, and like she and I would listen to it, like Mind Over Matter, Neglect, stuff like that. But I think it was not until I started to go to shows where I realized that it wasn't necessarily the music, but it was more so what was either being said in between songs or what was written in the lyrics or what was just the community itself amongst like the Long Island hardcore bands that I was just more enamored with. Um, don't get me wrong, I love all of those bands, and I, I started to kind of get into it. And I remember listening to like VOD and all of those bands as they started to as they were you know exploding. Um, 
But it was more so just that sense of community that I really enjoyed. I liked the fact that people had, I mean, a difference of opinions, but people also weren't afraid to stand up on stage and say, you know, how they felt about certain things or, you know, it's where I started to learn more about animal rights and where I obviously learned about like straight edge and all of those various, um, you know, things that were sort of a part of the community. It was more of a cultural thing for me than it was a musical thing. And the music kind of came along with it. But when I started to get into that genre, I started to dig a little bit deeper into the bands that were more, I guess at the time were, I mean, now it's kind of like that screamo genre, but then was just like, I don't even know what I would have called it, but bands like from the West Coast, like Indian Summer, and even the bands on Long Island, like Closure and Half Man, those were the bands that, yeah, like Scape Grace, like they introduced me a little bit to that scene, and then I dug a little bit. They had that vibe, yeah. Right, so just hearing those bands and then kind of taking that back. So to me, Sky Came Falling, when we formed, uh, I kind of always wanted to sound like Half Man and those bands, to be totally honest with you. That's what I thought we sounded like until Shout like the Menken brothers. until like later when people were like, no, like the metalcore thing became popular. I think Parker and I were talking recently. I don't think there's a band that all of us in the band could have agreed on when we were younger, besides maybe the Deftones. Like we all just came from different backgrounds musically. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the same for my band too. You know, when I think about it, um, there's some common ground, but there's more not common ground. <laughs> so, so you, uh, you start going to the shows and you start seeing these like uh, vocalists. Um, did you play an instrument ever, or was it always no. vocals? Always vocals. So, when did you first grab that mic and start screaming? So I was. And how did you know you could do it? I think I was 15 years old. I started a band with some friends that I was with, uh, that I went to high school with, playing Nirvana covers. Pretty that's much, that that's started it, right? Start. Like it was like, oh, we'll do this, and because they were easy, right? And we used to play a couple of the heavier songs, like what was it? Um, was it was it aneurysm? Was that aneurysm, the name? right? Yeah. Aneurysm. So we played a couple of those songs that were like the heavier ones that he would scream, and I would always try to scream, but it was always kind of like scratchy. And then one day it slipped into like this spot vocally that. The next time I went to practice, I was like, I don't think I could do that again. Like, it's going to be gone. And still to this day, I still have like a freak out. Like, even recently practicing, like, it's going to be gone. And I don't know how to the get scream? it back. Yeah. I, I took vocal lessons from uh, Melissa Cross, who does the Zen of Screaming. Okay. And, uh, man, she would teach these people how to scream. So did you ever get any type of lessons or is it just no. like all natural? It's all natural. I've never, I've just, it just is there i think because you either have it or you don't because i can't i can't do that so yeah it's just there and i've always wanted to take lessons because i'm assuming i'm like destroying my vocal cords i mean i remember when we first started playing i would like spit blood afterward and i couldn't talk for a couple of days but as it's gotten (laughs) as i got older it even after the after sky came falling broke up the first time when i was screaming again in divider it actually changed and got deeper and more formed in my opinion um so it's always been just evolving and i've just kind of always evolved with it i guess i i'm more of a slave to it than it is controlled by me i guess is kind of the thing okay um, and how did sky came falling start so how'd i started you, you meet this guy? 
I started a band. So after the band that I was doing, once I discovered I could scream, then I knew a couple of kids from high school that were playing heavier, like heavier music. So we were like, well, by that point we had discovered VOD because it was only a couple of leaps beyond like, you know, that. Um, so we started a band and that's where I just started screaming exclusively. And then that band broke up and then other members formed another band, which I eventually joined called Abstain. And we played a show with Suspect 7 in Queens at a place called Sanctuaries. And we were connected by someone who used to run a radio station. It was Steve Friedlander. He used to run Hofstra Radio. He was Crucial really, Chaos, right? I bel- No, it wasn't Crucial no. Chaos. It was, I, I think he just did Hofstra Radio and he connected us with them. He was like, I really like your demo, which sounded a lot like it was just a complete ripoff of VOD. Okay. And he was like, but you guys should check out this band Suspect 7. So I gave John, the guitar player of Sky Came Falling, a call and we booked a show together at Sanctuaries. So, and Parker was there. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah, we just talked about it the other day. So Parker was there. So Cameron and John were in Suspect 7. Parker was a friend. Our first bass player, Matt, was a friend of Cameron's. And then eventually when Suspect 7 broke up and Abstain broke up, we just kind of merged the two bands. We needed a drummer, so they knew Parker. And we needed a bass player. And Cameron had been in another band with Matt, so we brought Matt in. And I think that was, I was a freshman in college when we started. How long did it did it take for like the sound to evolve? So Suspect 7, actually we had just talked about this the other day. Suspect 7 actually had the last song they wrote became the first song Sky Came Falling had, which was Of Adornment and Disgust, the second song on the demo? Demo. Yeah. And then we wrote like three or four more songs and we're like, well, the next logical thing to do is record a demo. So every band needs a demo. We wanted to play shows. And we knew that Jay May from Tripface recorded. Oh, that's right. That's the story that you told So, me. yeah, we called him up and we were like, can you record our demo? And he was like, yeah. And we drove out east. And at the time, anything past Huntington was like out east. So we just drove into farm country for like what felt like two hours. It might have been because uh. like we left from me from your place and it felt like two hours. Yeah, <laughs> to me it's like it's, know, nothing. It's yeah. out there. It's out. That there. was Fourth of July weekend, I think. Right? Didn't we record on Fourth of July? Might have been. I remember yeah. just like we did it all in like what a day, two no, days. No, two, two, two days, days. We were there. We yeah. played Mike Tyson's Punch Out mostly nice. the exclusively while while you weren't playing uh, or recording. And then we had our demo, and we just hit the ground running with it. I mean, we just printed up some copies, and then we just started giving them away for free, pretty much. I mean, we sold them at shows, but... Wasn't it great to just have no responsibilities except oh, for yeah. playing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we set out early on, I think, it's probably because of me, because I'm always like more uh, calculated and like, I'm not really impulsive. Like I'm very much like I'm regimented. I like to have a schedule. I like to like do things like that. So when we first started the band, I was like, okay, I know people. I went to college in Rhode Island. So I was like, I know people in Rhode Island. We could play out of state. We could play here. We could play there. We made friends with, uh, dead eyes under from Connecticut who were friends with ground zero. We were like, we could play there. So we started to just, we had a really hard time getting shows on Long Island because Long Island to me, being somewhat of an outsider, not knowing the like Artie and 
some of the other folks that were like doing the shows and being connected in any way with them, I was like, well, it's so hard to get a show here. Was it hard or you just didn't try? I just, I, I thought it was hard, but I probably didn't try either. But I just remember saying like, if we go and play out of state and people take a liking to us, then maybe that would kind of get somewhat of a groundswell here. And it actually is what happened. Eventually, people started to book us because us playing out of state started to get a little bit of something like a buzz happening, uh, mostly like Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Jersey, those areas. And then eventually we started to play Long Island's and eventually, you know, made friends with like Market, Deja and places like that. But it took us a little while to crack into that. Like we didn't get offers and and i was even trying to book our own shows yeah. at a what lot year? of the venues was this like 96 probably 96 97 yeah. and then i was booking shows at like other venues so i think that somewhat to a degree it was a little bit competitive with other folks that were doing shows here so it was somewhat hard in you know to that degree and i don't what, what i was, was also like, young what was yeah because for anyone from not long island like what was like long island scene like then 96 97 that you remember I remember being I remember thinking it was clicky but also at the same time not like just feeling like I didn't know how to like get in with them and like what how was do I um I'm trying to think so like cleanser was still around that was also like kind of like when exit records like exit blew up. was big motive. so, you had, so yeah. you had motive silent majority millhouse uh sons of Abraham like all those bands were, you know. Shout out to Keith Moore. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There Cleanser. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, also like, I don't think any of us were really outwardly friendly either. Like we were just we were outsiders to a degree, but we also weren't like these guys that were like you know coming in and trying to be like, hey, what can we do? How can we, you know, like how could we help? Any anything like that? We just were we weren't, uh, you know, even myself like an a lot of us like we we weren't like just very open and and like there we weren't the type of people that you could just like come up to and be like you know hey and strike up a conversation and we'd be best friends like i feel like i'm i'm the same way yeah to this day and 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 there is a lot of that 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 not that you should do when you play shows but it's easier to to kind of interact with people when you're like that yeah um, i think it's also the fact that that you know for me i felt as though i didn't want to feel like we were begging I think that's what bothered me. Completely. I didn't want to feel like I was begging someone to give us a show. I wanted us to get a show based on the merit of people liking the music we played. And maybe they didn't like us, and that's okay. But eventually it just got to the point where I think, you know, through us booking our own shows and making friends out of state that wanted to come and play, and then also we became a band that would bring some people. So then you put a band that would bring some people on a show, and we we started to get shows that way. So it, it was... It was a little bit of both. I'm not so saying they came that, to you. Yeah, it, it, I'm not yeah. saying it wasn't hard work because it definitely was hard work in that sense. But mm-hmm. I just I always felt uncomfortable about having to approach a stranger I'm and being you. like, "Please give us a show. We're trying so hard." <laughs> like to this day, when I go, like when I think about my band and I see people that do it, more power to them. Maybe I should be doing this. But they're like, you know, some big band rolls around. They're like, "Hey, man, if you need anyone to open up, I'm like." couldn't do that yeah <laughs> yeah know? it's uncomfortable it's like, you, if you don't ask us i'm not asking and that's i don't know maybe it's just the i don't know it's just this weird like criminal mentality that i had because for like you know to like the age of 20 that's just what i was 2022 20, so it's just like you know it, it, it was very 
I don't know, it was like a street mentality of like, ah, you know, fuck, fuck me, fuck you. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, but I, I never said fuck you. And it's like, yeah, no, well, all right, just in case, fuck you. <laughs> it's also the thing where it's like, I never felt shame in calling someone out of state and being like, we're on tour. Can you please give us a show? Absolutely. But on Long Island, I don't know why. I just always felt uncomfortable, like asking people, especially people that were my peers. I always felt like maybe we should be doing more. So it was a little bit uncomfortable for me in that sense. And in the beginning, uh, so from the beginning to like, let's say the middle, like, like, did this, do you feel like the sound evolved? Was it always like, what was the main goal of Sky Came Falling when you guys started? Just I, tour? And- all I wanted to do was put out a seven inch and go on tour. That was it. <laughs> that, was it. that was all I wanted to do. Had that work out? Um, never did that seven inch. Yeah, we never did a seven inch. <laughs> all I wanted to do, I thought like if we could get somebody to put out a seven inch, this would be like the greatest achievement because we were seeing, I mean, back then putting out a CD was a big deal. Absolutely. Like that was a big deal. Yeah. And even like people that were signed to labels like Exit, that was a big deal. Like I remember still to this day thinking that like I remember getting the Motive 7 inch and being like this is unreal. Like there's still is. no other sound like it. It's still one of my favorite 7 inches, probably one of the best 7 inches to come off Long Island in my opinion. But back then like just having somebody that was willing to put any amount of money into your band and even if you were like to just put their, even if you were paying for it and they were willing to just put their label name on the bottom was like just That was huge. a big deal. Yeah. That was a big deal. Like even like the people that, you know, made like fake label names just to have something on. <laughs> yeah. Because if your shit didn't have nothing on the back of that CD, it looked kind of whack. Like yeah. you needed like, you, you know. a logo of some sort. Yeah, you need some. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember that being like the one thing that I, we aspired to do was just how could we put out a seven inch and through the grapevine we good life got in touch with us um we were i think we gave away maybe so victory records used to have a chat room that sounds crazy back then but it was called vic chat and that's actually where i met the guys from poison the well that's actually where um i met a that's where i started the label from finding bands that were on this vic chat and I started to mail our demo out to people. Just be like, hey, I'll trade you tapes. In fact, the singer from Further Seems Forever, the second singer, Jason, okay. the guy who did How to Start a Fire, mm-hmm. um, him and I used to, we were like, we traded tapes over through the mail. That's how we know each other. So like I was doing that with people. I'd be like, oh, there's this band. Check them out. Here's a tape. That's super intimate. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like super intimate. And in in a way, it's almost like the, uh, you know, uh, social media prototype. Yeah. You know, but not on that, that I used vast to do level. that, like out of the back of magazines, trade stuff with guys in Europe and stuff like that back in the day. And uh, get a lot of good stuff, meet cool people. You do, it's, you it's meet fun. cool yeah. people, and it's just like people that, you know, that, uh, not everyone likes, you know. Yeah. Uh, fucking, I don't know, <laughs> give me some weird random black metal ma- band from... <laughs> Norway. I wasn't really listening to that then. Not yeah. everyone likes Burzum, you know? <laughs> so. I don't think I even like Burzum. <laughs> he got into black metal in his 40s. So. Yeah. You're going to have to Weird. excuse him. Yeah. I don't know what Johnny happened. North, too. My friend Johnny North did the same thing he got like as he got older. I like the fact that I'm listening to heavier shit than I ever was older. Yeah. Like legitimizes my old ass. Well, people your age are like they moved on to like Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, which I want to kill them <laughs> and him. Yeah, <laughs> you know? know, it's kind of like when you like for me being into movies. I'm glad that 
I didn't see The Godfather until like six years ago. Wow. And I tell people, I'm glad I was, I'm old enough to appreciate it mm-hmm. and see it the first time. Because anybody I've ever met has been like, I wish I could go back and see it the oh, first yeah. time. Absolutely. So that's kind of that. cool, like when you get into stuff older and you could appreciate it. Because back then, like you might have just been like, well, I don't a, like this. Genre. I'm a firm believer in, you know, sometimes a, a music or a song or something could be like, 10% how good it is and 90% of when you listen to it at the right time and it made sense. Yeah. Like I yeah. might have been really pissed off one day and I never, Dark Throne never made sense to me and it just was like, <laughs> I hear it now. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. It just hit me at the right time. You just needed to be the right type of angry. Yes. Um, going back to The Godfather, <laughs> that's interesting. So what made you watch it six years ago? You figured it was just time? So <laughs> I'm, I'm really into like research and lists and things like that oh you came to the right so yeah say no more fam i just go down crazy rabbit holes so i all i wanted to do was see the top like 10 movies on imdb the top 10 rated movies so i realized i'd only seen like two so i was like i'm just gonna go down the list and see all these movies so i saw shawshank for the first time 12 angry men i didn't see that i actually didn't i tried to do the same thing but Shank's amazing. So Great movie. Crazy because everybody was like, you're going to love that more than The Godfather. But I <sighs> I sat on the edge of my seat for The Godfather, and I will tell you that the scene where Don't ruin he's it. standing outside <laughs> no the hospital. <laughs> where he's stand- Oh, absolutely. And I was yeah. sitting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. Put your hand in your jacket. I was sure like, I just remember being like, this movie has... Everything I could love about yeah. like cinema, oh, it's a just wrapped into one thing, and I just it blew my mind. And then everybody's like, "Oh, the second one's going to be better." I didn't find it better. I thought the first one was better. Oh wow! And then Shawshank, everybody said was going to be like the best movie I ever saw, and I was like, I really enjoyed it. But again, like I thought, The Godfather was just like the the perfect movie. I only saw Shawshank like not so long ago too. And people were like, what? You haven't seen that? And I kind of started to like the fact that they got so upset that I hadn't seen it, that I purposely wasn't going to see it. Just hey, it's the guy that. that never saw Shawshank. <laughs> yeah, that was my thing. That was your thing. Oh, you got to meet Brian. He's never seen yeah. Shawshank. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it was good. But, yeah, it's no Godfather. Come on. I, that, I, that's one series, though, Godfather 1 and 2, that it's very debatable. Yeah, I loved be 1. I thought 1 was way yeah. more interesting. Interesting, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. It's in a different way, you know what I mean? I love part 2, though, how they go back with, with De Niro and yeah. how they came Well, they tell the stuff. dual story. Yeah, yeah. I like that. But what what else was on that list did you, that you saw? I, to be honest, I think maybe like, I think I rewatched, I think Pulp Fiction might be on it. I remember rewatching that. I think Dark Knight is on it. There's a couple of the Batmans that are on it in the top. Ah, well, you don't have to mention wow. the shitty ones. But, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, there's <laughs> a few. I can't top. remember. There's a couple of older ones that I always wanted to go back and see, but I was just like, I kind of faded out. I didn't commit fully to it. <laughs> but I, I just remember being like, bird. like, yeah, I'd seen that. But like, it's like I just wanted to see these top movies that everybody was talking about. I had like a, a movie sort of renaissance, like maybe like, seven or eight years ago where I just like wanted to see as many movies as I could especially older ones um, and stuff that I'd missed as a kid so I just wanted to go back and then Park is still in this renaissance yeah. <laughs> I was about to say the shit's in order so fucking have at it yeah. <laughs> well, why don't you just hang out here I don't, I don't have a VCR yeah. so I got five <laughs> I got five don't worry you can borrow one <laughs> so I actually don't even have a DVD player neither anymore. do I yeah. it's like I just re- like and I also talk to people like that pirate you know like 
clearly steal like movies and stuff like that. I, like I just don't have the time and I don't the effort to go through and find like a version that's actually good that's going to look okay on a TV larger than like 40 inches. That's where I don't mind paying for we were talking yeah. about Amazon. I don't mind at all. We were to, like whatever it is it's such a tiny subscription even on YouTube. Um I I the movie Shot Caller which was on my list for best movies of last year. I started watching it on the stick because I couldn't find it anywhere else, and then it kept buffering. So I'm like, I need to see this because it started doing that halfway through, and then I just I found it on YouTube. I was like, perfect. I spent what it four dollars to fucking rent it, you yeah. know, to for it to not buffer. Absolutely, take my money. Well, you please. got it like that. You, you misfits tickets, your fucking five dollar <laughs> YouTube movie, <laughs> fucking making it rain over here. Uh, That's what happens when you have no responsibilities in uh, life. Yeah, or I don't future. mind renting. I remember iTunes. that. I'm like renting it up from iTunes. I don't mind. Like yeah. if it's not on Netflix or Hulu, I'm like, I really don't mind spending the like that's five dollars. I feel the same way about that. That's how I feel like Spotify. Like anything yeah, any of it. that I get my money's worth sure. that I go and I'm like, the only thing that's getting a little bit obscene are ticket prices at the theaters. But I get it because it's this straight like competition. It's almost like ticket prices at, at concerts now. It's like, okay, you guys want to download the music, you guys want to stream shit. 35 now nah, well, let's make it 50 bucks now mm. okay fine so now you pay 50 dollars <laughs> you know and same thing with movie theaters it's like you're competing with so many other outlets that i feel like they're like seriously like they're not, it's almost 20 dollars a ticket to go see a movie which is fine but i don't know and then the movie pass i like did you do the movie i pass? didn't do the movie pass. cousin mike did that he told me about that cousin mike i like big list of the cousin mike which one is he is he uh, Warsner, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like cousin Mike. Yeah, cousin he Mike's good guy. Yeah, we have the Long Beach Theater by me because I live in Long Beach. The Long Beach Theater has the reserve seating. It's not like an AMC; it's just a local theater. They have reserve seating, um, so I like doing that just because at least you go and it's like you know you have a seat, and I just don't like having to go in and be like, where am I going to sit? Am I going to sit in the front? Like you know? Yeah, I don't like that either. Yeah. So. And then Malvern. I don't know if you've ever gone to Malvern. I don't even know where that is. Malvern <laughs> is a really tiny little town that is north Upstate? of no, <laughs> that is north of Long Beach by like right out right past Rockville Center. It's got okay. this tiny little movie theater that only accepts cash, and it's the they they show a lot of independent films. It's fantastic. It's one of my favorite movie theaters. To go mm. Wow, that's what I loved about the city. So. Whenever, you know, back, you know, 20, 20 plus years ago, there were certain movies and movie theaters. That's where I saw Boogie Nights. Mm -hmm. You know, like there was always these like tiny theaters that would just show specific movies like Animal Factory. I remember seeing when I was going to school in the city um, and that's those indie flicks always found their theaters somewhere in Manhattan. And I fucking love going like the IFC theater. That's where I mm -hmm. saw the human centipede. <laughs> <laughs> I went there and I was just like, fuck it, let's go. And it was, you know, it was all right. I think I saw the Kurt Cobain documentary there, not like the uh, one. The, the heck. Montage of Montage heck. of heck. Yes, that one. What do like, you think of that? After I, I saw Buzz from the Melvins sort of take <laughs> or review of it where he kind of called it bogus. I was a little bit like, eh, you know, but I enjoyed it as like watching the movie. There was definitely footage that I like had no idea. Um, the same goes for, I think it's, I don't know if it's on Netflix any longer, but the drummer from Hole I had a documentary that. That and they had some good. footage that I was like, I'd yeah. never seen. Yeah. 
which I thought was interesting as well. Like just the dynamic between like Kurt and Courtney at the time, and it was just such an interesting time. But absolutely, the, and it was um, so quick too. Yeah, mm. you know, like the, the that it, long enough for him to write live through this. But yes, hey, <laughs> did you see that other one? The one when they basically blame Courtney for killing him. What was his name of that one? That was like some pretty stupid sensationalist. I loved it. That, that's on it. Netflix, right? I believe it's like more that's like FBI-ish. It. I sold, it sold me. Well, yeah. Unsolved Mysteries also had it too, and they kind of like made her look shitty. So shout out to Robert Stack for doing that. Nice. Kind of shocked too, baby. I'm still watching. Uh, now that Prime, Amazon Prime has brought Unsolved Mysteries oh, back. so good. Yeah. With the updates at the end, yeah. I'm obsessed oh, yeah. with the with that. the original ones. Oh, and this absolutely. guy's voice is so creepy. Yeah. Uh, it's like the, the perfect voice for to like do a show like that. Great yeah. reenactments. The intro is great. I yeah. love it. Yeah. And plus they have like the feel good stuff they'll throw in the middle like this guy got reunited with his family after 40 <laughs> years. Like it's just there's so many strange things that I'm just it just blows my mind. It is good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so all right, moving forward with the band uh so we figured 96, 97. So what's going on? Like, you guys just kept playing shows, getting a local following. Yeah, I mean, we really early on played out-of-state shows, as I mentioned. And then I think the first summer we were, like, the first full cycle, because I was still going to college, and I would come down on the weekends to practice. So they would practice without me during the week, and I'd come down on the weekends, and, like, we didn't have the internet. In the, the writing of, the, like, for you as a vocalist, like, was it always easy for you to... Because I'm a vocalist too, so I, I love melody. I love the idea of melody. I love the idea of songwriting. Um, so they would give you pieces of music, and you would just kind of do your thing over it. Yeah. So they would write like a whole song and be like, "Hey, this is what we have. What could you put to it?" And I'd look through my book, like because I was always writing, and I would be like, "Oh, this is this works. This pattern works. Um, but can we?" You know, change this instead of playing it six times, play it four times, or something like that, or maybe make it faster little things to just make the vocals kind of go with what it was. Um, but that was it. They primarily wrote like whole things, whole songs. Did you feel like you had a knack for that? Um, I think, it. I mean, it worked well, like as far as like how they were doing it. I think that for, I was just trying to jam as many words in this thing that I wrote. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this is, this is my whole thought. Let me try to put all of this in there. Um, so I was trying to do that, which is oftentimes some, why some of the songs just make absolutely no sense because I'd like just couldn't fit the lines that you know like yeah. there were seventeen more sentences that Gotta I wanted to say. Yeah. Why did this? Why did this story end here? What's it the- worked better for the full length because songs got longer. But at the time, I mean, that's that's just we didn't have the internet to share stuff. So I was just like, I'd come down. They had full songs. They worked. I thought they were great songs. So it was easy enough to just put the vocals to them. We didn't really scrap that many songs. No. Maybe one or two. No. I mean, crazy enough, the whole life of the band, we were, I mean, we were around for, what, 1996 to 2003, so seven years, and yeah. I think we might have written like 25 songs. We well, you guys did write like super uh, like technical, like it wasn't like very, it wasn't like three chord pop, so those songs are a little bit harder to write, I think. We were also lazy. I would not. <laughs> I, I definitely think that, to like you, there was yeah no I appreciate credit, it but no. yeah we were definitely like where <laughs> as we got older people were working it became more of a like when you're also on tour we you can't write or at least we couldn't write at the time so we'd just be focused on tour and we toured at to some points I think we were eight months nine yeah. months out of the year we yep. were gone 
Hey, no. No, no. So wow, 20, <laughs> uh, 25 songs in seven years um, definitely is, uh, you know, I mean, whatever. You know, you guys did your thing. You guys toured more than most. Uh, you guys played shows. You guys released music anyway. But uh, I guess, you know, if you if you say you're lazy, then that's fine. <laughs> so what was it like uh, being on tour with Brian Parker? Anything, anything funny that you could tell <laughs> our three listeners? So... <laughs> So the thing to remember is Parker didn't get his license. When did you get your license? Like three years ago. Yeah. That so I believe. Parker <laughs> didn't drive. So all of us basically were like, he, if I look back on it this way, <laughs> if you could imagine, right, that you would be chauffeured from one city to the next city where you were able to sit in the van and watch movies the entire time you it's were amazing. chauffeured. Amazing. And then you get to your destination, you eat you go play a show and you get back into the van. That's what it was yeah. like. That, I was that like was my own celebrity. Yeah, That's that what great. we basically did for him. Yeah. Clever like a fox. Yeah. But on top that of it, like there quiet. were so many times that we would get to like destinations. Like we're in Seattle. Let's go walk around Seattle. We've been talking about Nirvana and grunge and all this. Like I was like, let's go. It's our first time in Seattle. Let's go. He's like, I'm gonna stay in the bus. I'm gonna watch. And when I say bus, we had like a little school bus. He's like, I'm gonna stay in the bus. I'm gonna watch movies. I'm going to watch summer school for the 18th time. We went to Yosemite National Park. We're like, we're going to go hiking. Do you want to come? No, I'm going to stay in the bus. Too he much never, work. He never Too much left. Work. He just he got driven around in a movie theater the entire time. And we had N64 in that, too, so I was playing like yeah. GoldenEye and shit. So. Yeah, so we, like it was like van? my bedroom on wheels. That's we all that it like was. We, can, we had a, like a like, mini... What was your setup? It was, an MTA, oh, it was an old MTA yeah. bus. Yeah. Okay. What happened was our one, our one guitarist, his father owned um, a garage. Uh-huh. And... Uh, <laughs> That's how we actually got the first bus that we had um, that actually Chris Enriquez later put on fire. After yeah, we sold it to On the Might of Princes and, and they burned it down. And he stuffed and, like a dirty sock when there was like an oil change. In what the is thing that exploded. little guy doing now these days? Yeah. <laughs> so this woman who worked uh, for like a handicap school brought in this MTA bus and the uh, there was a lift for the, for the wheelchair and it was broken. So she brought it in. She was talking to John's father, blah, blah, blah. How much does it cost to fix? I think he said it was like two thousand dollars or something to fix the lift she's like fuck that i'm not gonna fix it whatever and he goes would you be you know would you be up for selling it my son is in a band he's gonna hit the road blah 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 so i think he fucking got it for like a thousand dollars so he made off with it or whatever so So, he he paid a thousand dollars for your bedroom yes (laughs) yes so he winds up fixing the wheelchair ramp and then we like customize it so we take out I think that was two rows of back seats. We got rid of those. So now we could put the amps and the drums, and we actually put like kind of like a loft on top so people could sleep, you know, however uncomfortable it was on top of the uh, on get top the of the TV gear. In there. Yeah. yeah. So we then we. Put a TV up in the top, like yeah. above where the driver was, there was a little like sort of area you duck your head, you came in, and there was this area. So we had it cut out. And we actually put a TV in there, and then we ran the wires. TV VCR, yeah, yeah. So we had a TV VCR, yeah. which worked out well because Parker worked out great because I had a hundred VHS, VHS tapes. tapes so you, did you bring all the- every fucking one of them? We every fucking one of them. And there was a time that I remember this part. I remember this specifically. So Parker brought this old bag of VHS tapes, and all of a sudden, we st- our van got infested by earwigs. Silverfish, right? They were like the little things with the pinchers on the end. 
And there were hundreds of them all over because they came from that stupid bag you grabbed out of the garage. Oh, my God. And we had to, like, fumigate the entire van on tour because, like, they were all over the place, like, everywhere. So no one choked them to sleep? Nah. Like, no one really? There was... He mostly fell asleep drunk. Yeah. Um, then, because him and John were both oh, yeah. <laughs> heavy drinkers at the time that we that we were touring. You know, once you spend that much time together, you know, you do like personalities do affect you. But at the end of the day, you guys are playing music across the country. You know, like you said, you're in Seattle. Yeah. Doing I mean, all these it things. was we we did our first West Coast tour probably like 2001. I think around the time we put out our full length and we signed to Ferret. Was that before or after 9-11? Um, before. Because I remember we were in Texas. We were in Arizona, Arizona. when 9-11 yep. happened. Wow. And I, we got pulled over twice yep. with the van through, um, going through Texas. It happened when we were on tour with Santa Sangre. Yep. So as we were coming home, we were stopped a few times because of our the size of our van and the possibility there could be explosives and getting into New York was a total nightmare. But... Um, just that whole like we decided in like 2000 maybe 2001 that we were just going to do this full time and we just put the pedal to the metal and just went out on tour and we were lucky enough to have connected with jim grimes who was booking some great bands at the time and we ended up getting hooked up with a couple of tours that you know we went out with thursday went out with santa sangre we went out with unearth at one point um we did a couple of things with hopes fall I can't even remember living uh, sacrifice living sacrifice we wow. went out with like a bunch of bands and we just we just went out and played and just continued to do it but after a while it just became so draining that it is draining uh, I would imagine it's it's completely draining um and I think that's kind of like where some bands either get over that hump you know or mm-hmm. they just kind of like I guess the wheels fall off that's what I gather from talking to so many people yeah, I mean, I think that for us, there were parts where we started to realize quickly that other aspects of our lives were starting to become more important. Like when you're in a band and you're 19 and that's it, that's all you have. But as we got to like 22, 23, 24, some of us, I had never finished college. I left college for the band. Um, and also other members had started to leave by that point. So Parker was gone. Yeah. Matt was had he, already been was gone. Was the first one? Uh, Matt was first. Matt was the first one, yeah. Matt was first. He was our bass player. He left first. And then we got another bass player. We had a series of bass players that came through. Um, Then we got Joe, and then Joe left. And then after Joe, we got Sal. But I think that I've always looked at it as like sort of like eras, right? There's kind of like the beginning where we were all like young and enthusiastic and had no idea what we were doing to the middle where things started to settle down and, and felt like they were under control and we were just full speed ahead touring and then there was like the end where like it felt like we were just starting to go through motions i mean the last even the last um even the last ep we recorded right it just i tell people this all the time it's like after so long of being on tour it just started to feel like we were listening to what other people were telling us what to do we started in the beginning you're doing your own thing you're you're kind of like uh, people would say to you, you know, hey, do this, do that, do this. And we'd be like, no, we're going to do it our way. And after being on tour for four years and not really seeing the things kind of grow, I mean, we always did well. And that's the good thing. But there's only 
when you're on tour and you're 22 years old and you're getting $5 a day, there's only so much you can do with that $5. And we started to listen to people to be like, oh, you guys should sing more. You should play slower. You should be more melodic. You should do this. And you start to think in your head, like, is that why we're not taking that next step? So we kind of stalled out at that middle ground. And we watched bands that, you know, like bands like Poison the Well, bands like Unearth, bands that we had toured with or were friends with actually start to move up. And even younger bands that were coming up around that time, you know, somewhat surpass us. And it became disheartening. I mean, I, I won't lie to the to the point that it started to be like, well, what are we still doing this for? Yeah. And we took that one last crack with that EP to like try to do something different. And I remember just listening back to it after we recorded it. And I was like, we, you know, we were in talks to sign to victory, um, which felt uncomfortable at the time, given the history there. And so it, it, the history was already a thing by then. huh? Yeah. I mean, we had seen it happen. You know, it was just kind of known at the time, like in the industry, like even though bands were doing well, there was always this like it. it I had met with Tony on a few occasions and it always somewhat felt like a little bit of the evil empire. Not in a, not, I mean, he was always a nice guy to me, but it just, it felt very corporate. Um, even looking back now, you still wouldn't have. No, I don't, I don't think so. Like we got to know Carl. We from ferret, from ferret. Yeah. We got to know Carl from ferret. Carl was a great guy. Like he, he really was young and wanted the best for us and was willing to invest in us. And I mean, even good life, right? Anybody that's willing to put their money, whether that be personal or business, and invest that in your band because they believe in you. Because they believe in you is is just it. It's mind boggling to me, right? It's like so. You know, I a hundred percent appreciate everything that everybody did for us, but there got to a point where it started to be like, well, are we just doing things for other people, right? Are we do we need to start being more selfish and start to do this for us? And that was sort of that era where that last those last two songs came out, and I don't think they came from a place of like honesty and you know the the passion we had for doing this anymore. And so when we broke up, Ferret had said to us, you know, hey, you you guys have a lot of debt, and we didn't want to leave him hanging, so we gave him these two songs and said, hey, if you release this, like, and you we don't want anything for it. Um, you know, is that enough to pay to pay back the money we owe you? And he was like, "Yeah." So we we washed the slate clean with Interesting. that. Yeah, that was I, I always wondered what happens to like band debt. Yeah, it typically goes away, or from what I know, right? Unless you're signed to a contract where you're signed personally, which we weren't. Um, it became a thing where we just felt like I, you know, we had taken tour support, or we had, you know, had him print merch, or whatever it was that we owed him money for. And we felt like, you know, it's not right to just walk away given the, given the size of the label at the time. So we let him release those two songs. Cause if we didn't have that debt, those two songs would have never made it out. Um, you know, they'd probably be on the internet now, but uh, yeah, they, they, they were recorded as a demo to shop to labels. Gotcha. And, you know, as I mentioned, we had talked to victory for a little while and just didn't feel right. And then we decided like that was it. And after that, you know, we broke up and that's when the sleeping formed. And what was that last show like? So we didn't officially play a last show that we knew was going to be our last show. So we had already booked a Long Island show when we decided we were going to break up and we decided like we're going to make that the last show. And then we had booked another show the weekend after that 
under a different name where we played our EP in its entirety. So we booked ourselves as Embrace the Sun. And by that point, we kind of knew, like, and then people knew, like, this is going to be our last show. And we honestly thought, like, that was going to be it. And then we got an offer to play Hellfest the following year. And we said, like, well, we never really did truly a last show for people that wanted to see us. So we went and did that after that. Um, I think that's the the footage, right? I think I've seen some of that. Probably, yeah. That's I think um, Zizzo was playing with us by that point. So it was Zizzo, Sal, uh, myself, John, and Cameron when we did that last Hellfest show. And at that last Hellfest show, some of us weren't even talking to each other. We had kind of like our relationships were somewhat strained at the time. Were you at that last one? I was there, yeah. I showed up uh, just to kind of, you know, were send you trying them to off. get on the list? No, no. <laughs> I got on there, though. I didn't have to try. Um, but it, yeah, it, it, was, it was awkward. I mean, just nobody was communicating and talking to each other. And I was just like, man, I was like, this is fucking I think rough. we all came up separately. We didn't even yeah, come up as a They band. didn't even drive together. Like, yeah. I was like, this is fucking bad. Yeah. So he uh, split and watched VHS tapes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean they—they they sounded great. I mean the fucking crowd went crazy, but I mean I was just like, holy shit! I'm like, this is fucking. This is a this is an ugly way to end. But so. years later, you guys what did a reunion? Was that 2005? I think so. Is that I what it was? I'm it trying. Was Long Island Fest sounds 2005 sounds. I think that's about right. Yeah, that sounds right. Because then we did a. a 2011 but yeah we got um jake from uh jake zimmerman eastern had east coast collective east coast, yeah. yeah he had contacted us and the year before we were supposed to play and cameron actually injured his hand yep. so we had to cancel but we had always gotten some like offers like hey would you guys play this would you guys play that it never really felt like the timing was right and around that time there was like stuff happening personally everybody was kind of talking again um, Matt, who we had lost touch with for a while, was talking. Uh, we were all like communicating, and um, obviously, none of us had really lost touch with Cameron. But at that point, it really felt like it was the right time for us to play. So, How when did we that, so you, you start the text, <laughs> the text message. Yeah, I think that so myself and Matt actually had played in a band together for a short while um, with a couple other local friends, and Parker actually played yeah. in it. It was yeah. like a weird era that I was like doing we were doing this other band and, and um, hollahan too yeah rob it, yeah. it was actually so rob hollahan who was a fill-in drummer for us who played on the last ep and matt were in a band with me called farewell tide and then that band broke up and then year like a year later we were like let's try to do it again but matt had already moved and rob really wasn't interested in doing it so parker actually joined so we had it was just kind of an evolving member of a couple of you know people that I knew that played music and oddly enough were in Sky Came Falling. And so when 2005 rolled around and we got the offer, it just felt like it was the right time. Like we were all communicating. We were actually in a much better place than the last show we played. So we decided like, okay, let's do this one time thing. And because I'd always said like, we're never going to do a show. Like we're never gonna do a reunion. Don't you show. know you never say never? I, I was <laughs> I was dead set against it. I was like, there is no way we're gonna play a show. I'm not interested in doing this. I don't want to relive the stuff that we did back in the day. Like I'm I'm done. Like this era is finished. I really hadn't been playing music at all outside of that other little band for a little while. And so when that offer came up, it just felt like the right time. And then the same thing in 2011, which like leads us to uh, today, man. So. February 23rd, which is in like a two weeks. Two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did this upcoming reunion start? So 
Tom from Obnoxious Noise has uh, uh, always, Martin, yeah. yeah, he's always supported my other band, Vider. Okay. Um, and, you know, we've always chatted on the internet and he sent me a message and said, hey, what would it take to do a Sky Game Falling show? And I was like, I don't know, let me see, you know, and I always feel bad because we, we get offers to play shows and sometimes there are benefit shows and things that we'd want to do. But the fact that Cameron is located in L.A. and the fact that Matt's located in North Carolina it takes a lot to get them here. They have to be here for like a couple of days to at least practice and get everything together and get all those, you know, just make sure that we're not just not prepared. I mean, we want to be prepared when we play. So Tom had reached out and said, hey, what would it take for you guys to play? And I said, well, let me find out. So I reached out to the guys and I said, hey, we got offered to play this fest. Do you guys want to play? And everybody was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So That's it was crazy. actually <laughs> as simple as that. It was just a matter of, you know, what would it take? And I said, look, we, we have to fly Cameron in. We have to get Matt up. Um, as long as, you know, those expenses are covered, we should be fine. Yeah. And Tom was like, sure. And we'd always wanted to play Amityville. So we'd never been able to play Amityville Music Hall because the last time we were supposed to play there, the show. So we've had a thing <laughs> where the last two reunion shows we've done on Long Island were moved the day of the show. That mm-hmm. happened to Amityville Music Hall the first time we were supposed to play. And it happened at the Long Island Fest where the venue fell through and we ended up having to play in Ronkonkoma. Yep. So both times we've played a show and you know, on Long Island in these last these last two reunions have actually been moved the day of. If there's one thing I know about playing shows is <laughs> never get your show moved to Ronkonkoma. <laughs> it's like the kiss of death. Right yeah, we there. played the Ron I think we played the bar like in the Ronkonkoma like train station yeah. oh, tracks. Shit. Tracks actually. Yeah, yeah we it played. changes names every week. Yeah, we yeah. played tracks. That yeah. that strip right there, you know, it's I, so sad. It is. It it might as well be like a strip in like Kansas City when you get off the train. It just looks like this ghost town. No matter what goes there, the only thing that still stands there is a subway. That's the only yeah. shit that'll never die. Everything else just like comes and fucking goes, and it's just like you know. But yeah, shout, shout out, out to Ron Conkema. Shout out to Ron Conkema for yeah. holding it down. But Tom from Obnoxious Noise, man, that kid works super hard. Very passionate about heavy and extreme music. Um, I don't know him too well, but I love his hustle. I love his passion for for bands. Uh, you know. Can't say enough about him. Post on the internet more than Parker. Yeah. (laughs) Does Parker post that much? I don't even notice. I feel like Parker does. Lately, I've just been sharing his stuff. I guess we're really bad then. (laughs) (laughs) Constantly. I have two podcasts. I have no choice. (laughs) I I fall somewhere like halfway between like what Joe Rubino said about social media. Uh, (laughs) And um, I just, I'm not, I'm not really super interested in like posting every minute of every day. Like I'm, I'm. I'm more than happy to read. I, and the only reason I still have like Facebook is just because sometimes I feel like I just don't know what's going on. I, I got rid of it for a little while, and I felt like I didn't know what was going on, especially for records. I just want to know like when are new releases coming out, and when's a show going to happen. Never listen to Joe Rubino. That's all I know. <laughs> so, That's how I live my life. Well, I mean, outside of fluoride being in the water. There you go. It's, uh, it's a scary place now. I mean, but um, it's just one of those things where I wanted to make sure that when we played the show, like it was, you know, it was like somebody that wanted to do it and he seemed really into it. And that was, I mean, a lot of people ask us like, Hey, you should play this fest or you should play this fest or that fest, or you should come out to, you know, Kansas and play a show. And I'm like, we don't get offers for these things. Like typically I don't believe you could just show up to shows and be like, Hey, we want to play this festival. Like that doesn't happen. And so 
you know, the fact that Tom was really into the band and really wanted to do it and had that passion for doing it. And with the bands that we're playing with, it, it was pretty much a no brainer. Well, I'll be there. Kind nice. of. <laughs> I have a show. I'm playing a show that day, but I'll go after the show. You're rivaling our show? <laughs> no, it's believe me. There's no there's no rivaling. I don't I don't think the Rhett Miller crowd from old ninety sevens is gonna be <laughs> heading over with me. But I'm opening up a show in Bayshore. Mm. Um and the headliner goes on at nine. So I should be over there by ten. With the amount of bands that are playing this i will because well, he, he said 10 15 and no i looked way. at the i have lineup. no yeah that's why i, I said was how like, are we playing a 10 he's like we're gonna back line i said okay you can fucking backstroke all you want man we ain't playing a 10 15 <laughs> no how many bands is it seven <laughs> seven doors at five experience doors tells five. me that we'll be on around one in the morning yeah i think so too that yeah. sounds about right yeah. that's time, way past that's my fucking late, bedtime bro. man yeah. Holy the shit. Fuck you gonna do, good thing man. i'm on vacation that week <laughs> Yeah, your your tempos are going to be way low. That winter winter recess, man. I'm out of there. By the time you guys play, Sarah will be on her way to the gym. Yeah, <laughs> very true. So okay, cool. That's that's the story of Sky came falling. I think right there. Uh, you're happy to be back, Parker. Yeah, I'm you're, having a blast. You're ready to make a career out of it? You're going to come I'm out still of still, man. I'm ready to do it. <laughs> Actually, funny Parker story. I remember when the first time we thought about breaking up was in Texas. Yeah, that was a brutal show. And we, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I want to quit. And Parker said to me, um, I was like, so words so, of wisdom. So I said, so what do you want to, I said to Parker, what are you going to do after this band? And he was like, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. <laughs> and that was his like backup plan. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. And he's like, yeah, no, that's what I'm going to do. I was like, all right. So you didn't know. work out. <laughs> <laughs> what was your gimmick? What would have been your gimmick? I don't know. Like maybe do like that fart noise with my armpit. <laughs> I don't know. Would that work? Were you going to do the triple Lindy off the? Uh, <laughs> yeah. There was this guy who used to do this die. <laughs> Were you serious when when you told him that? I don't even know, man. I was probably fucking drunk out of my mind. <laughs> who knows? All that I remember about that Texas show was we were. Funny enough, going back to heavy music and like you know how do you get the scream and everything? We were insanely into for those two weeks leading up to that show. I don't know why, but all we were listening to was Jimmy Eat World Bleed America, which is very weird. Amazing record. Yeah. and uh, You're talking to a guy who played in the Jimmy Eat World. I know. Band. Yeah, I know. And and funny enough, I listened to it today on the treadmill, and I was like, holy shit, this fucking album is great. Um, and I remember some kid coming up to me at that show and saying that the reason why he learned how to play drums was hearing the Sky Came Falling demo. And I was just like, holy fucking shit. I'm like, that's like the highest mm-hmm. honor you could ever say. And I remember we decided that that was going to be our last show. And when you talk about channeling anger through your instruments, I don't think that we've ever played that fucking hard ever. I mean, I fucking I don't know how I still had drum heads left on that set at the end. I was hitting so fucking hard because I was so pissed because I was just like, do you what know, the, what do you know the, who that kid was? I don't know. It was Zach from Jimmy Eat World. Nice. All right. <laughs> that kid grew up. <laughs> he grew up I was hoping it was fucking Brooks Wackerman <laughs> from fucking Bad for Good, maybe. Uh, all right. Well, listen, we're all going to be I could just show. imagine, guys, I'm leaving the band. Really? I'm going to wrestling school. <laughs> That's it, man. That sounds I'm, like some shit like unlike. Is there a school? Yeah. I think, I think, Rick, school I think Rick's that, in it right now. Yeah. I didn't know the I think you need a license <laughs> a license to wrestle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm out then. So yeah, I guess that's it. Let's do our top five. Um, you know, we 
here at Red River like doing lists because we like dissecting things that no one. Everybody, get your notes up. <laughs> no one, <laughs> no one in their right mind would give a shit about except us. <laughs> so I figured it would be I'm good. So they're agonizing. All yeah. the, wow. <laughs> oh, like, who's my number five? Where normal people are like you know worrying about normal things like How wrestling school. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we were trying to pick our top five favorite albums of 1993. Um, me personally. Uh, you know, like I said, the way I, I, I did my list is I I guess I picked the albums that I felt shaped me from 15 till now. These are the top five records that came out in 1993 that just had the most impact on me musically, uh, my swagger, whatever I got going on. Um, so that's how I did it. But, but we're going to start off with Langan. So give me your number five. Uh, my number five is uh, Bjork's debut. Um, Give me your real number five. <laughs> <laughs> For real. It's, Mike Randall hates it. <laughs> I I, uh, I love Bjork, but some of it, and I respect her artistry. Absolutely. But so much of it is completely inaccessible to my eardrums. But that album was a perfect mix of like post-Sugar Cubes, the sound of the moment, a lot of like New York house sound. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. Some real downbeat stuff like... Um, was that close to me close to no that's like your song uh i think it is close to me i don't, I don't know, remember there's, there's a song on there it's like a down tempo like almost like a massive attack kind of thing and it was just a perfect sounding album for that time when a lot of that electronic and house shit was breaking off yeah definitely that was the time and i love this even cute. like madonna had that record where she touched on that and ray of light but that was after this was it yeah eh. but uh don't listen to me <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, I, lo- I love that album. Love number her. five. I like it. Yeah. So our guest, Chris, give us your number five uh, of 1983. So first, I'm just gonna give you the one that I had to leave off. Sure. Because I was so upset that I had to leave off Sebado Bubble and Scrape, which was like an incredible album for me. Um, but I did the same thing as you, as you, Sam, as far as like the ones that shaped me. Number five, I put Lemonheads. Come on, feel. Mm. So, you know, I was a little bummed that it, It's a Shame About Ray didn't come out in 83 because that would have been probably my definitely number two. That's one of uh, the greatest albums I own. It period. shaped yeah. me. I was 14, but th- that record. Um, come on, Feel the Lemonheads, I loved, but it was such in the shadow of It's a Shame About Ray. It's a tough album to follow. The thing about it was I liked the fact that it was more pop. Because I think he's really good at that, like poppy, jangly sound. Oh yeah. I was disappointed because it wasn't a shame about Ray, but there were so many hits on that record. Oh yeah. Like it's just start to finish, every song is a hit. It's, and I saw him play acoustic a couple of years back, and it was incredible playing some of those songs that he played off that record. Power pop edits, like he like just pure power pop. Like for for you know later in life for me, like writing songs, like he was a huge inspiration. Um, because I loved those songs, those jangly pop songs that, you know. And same thing with Sebdo, too. Jesus fucking Christ. Like, uh, Lou Barlow is amazing. So, number five. I like it. Parker. Wrestling Shaq. school. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Shaq? Yeah. <laughs> number five. Uh, Shaq Diesel. Anthrax, Sound of White Noise, man. I had to go for it, you know. My boy John Bush, you know. Is that 93? Yeah. Yeah. God damn. So, yeah, it makes can we sense. get a Google clarification? 
Sound of White Noise. No, that makes sense. Okay. No, so first John Bush album. So I don't know. I, that's definitely a start to finish for me. I don't think I know a single Anthrax. <laughs> Honestly, that's my favorite Anthrax album. I love that album from start to finish. And I'm I think still trying it, to figure out what Chris listens to because uh, everything you everything you mention I like, and then everything we <laughs> mention you don't like. <laughs> I'm trying to gauge. <laughs> yeah, I think Only is one of the best Anthrax songs. That so is good. a great song. Yeah. Room for One More it goes right into it. I, I pretty much my top five on this is based off of drumming, except for number one. Except Charlie number one, has no, number one has nothing to do with drumming. The CD music, is, uh, yeah. <laughs> It's got to do with music, but it'll all make sense. It's from like a, one, of, one of those. I'll Winston put it to you this Hill way: ambient. it's from a it's from a collector's point of view. Okay. Shaq, the Shaquille O'Neal that's record. That's, that's Shazam. Easy. It was the soundtrack for Shazam. All right, so number five for me. Um, it was really hard because so many hip hop records came out, and so many like awesome, great like indie rock records came out, and that's primarily what I was listening to um, when I was fifteen. So. I had to do a mixture list and these are the five records that just, it just, when, you know, when, when I'm eulogized, I need these, these records on the playlist. So whoever's eulogizing me. Is this like a legal document we're <laughs> doing here? Say, who, notary down here? Yeah, who's ever saying like nice <laughs> words, who's ever saying nice words when I die? Like I need you to to put on number my number five, which is a uh, Digwell Planets Reachin'. Nice that album. Oh, yeah. A lot of people think it's like this one hit wonder no. with Rebirth of Slick, but those people never did drugs and never listened to all <laughs> like thirteen songs on the album. Yeah. Um, there's not a bad song on there. No, like it's it's just it it's the ultimate. I'm sorry, Guru Jazzmatez, but it's the ultimate um, jazz hip hop record that was big at that time too right then like us three came out us at that three time came out you know gangstar oh, like was very post native tongues some of the native tongues yes stuff. well okay you low know? in theory is the only one that rivals that as far as like the right. jazz selection that was out what year 91 right right mm-hmm. but, but yeah. reach and diggable planets to this day you put that on and it's like like it fucking reeks of hip-hop yes like when, when if aliens came to this earth and they're like yo I want to hear hip hop. I'd right. be like, "Say no more, fam. Let me go get my Diggable <laughs> Planets record." So, last of the Spidey Ox. That's my jam. Yeah, right. come on, man. Come on. Um, actually, isn't that on the second record? It's on the second record. Nah. Oh no, there Crazy. it is. I was thinking blowout combs. Not yeah. bad either. That's that good got too. Slept on. But Number four. Year. Uh, I have "Where You Been," Dinosaur Junior. Um, that album. A lot of my cooler friends <laughs> were into them like with bug and 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 green mind and stuff but i didn't really come around to them i didn't get them till that record and um just i fell in love with jay mascus is playing and uh he was not afraid to shred he totally shred and i'm reading about him like in, in recently and stuff you know he was in a death metal band or something but pre-dinosaur so like hearing him play so aggressively on a cut that wasn't metal for me you know what i mean because i was my mind was expanding around this time and hearing a lot of new Very stuff. Very different. And he had a, a Neil Young voice. Yes. And it, it, and the songs on it are just absolutely amazing. Shreds. There's not a bad song on that record. Completely shred. Him and Doug March from Built to Spill are like the two ultimate like indie rock shredders. Sure. I get that. So, yep. But that's my number four. Love it. Chris, number four. 
Mine was actually another recommendation from Kurt Cobain. It was PJ Harvey, Rid of Me. Nice. That was coming up a lot That was today. coming up a lot, and I yeah. like that because that record, that record was amazing. So I loved it. That was her first album, right? I think it was her second. Was it? Okay. I just remember it being dark. I remembered like the song Dry and just hearing her throat that you could, the way she's singing on that song. It's just something about that record. It was just cathartic in that like it was in that moment you could mm-hmm. you could hear everything of how she was feeling. And and with that just even the album cover, you know, with her face on there that like it, it just made sense because it was just so raw yes. and that cover was just like her and it was like unfiltered. Loved it. Mm-hmm. So Parker number 4. Chief J Strongbow. That's it, man. <laughs> Death individual thought patterns. Nice. Uh first album that featured my boy Gene Hoagland smashing away on the drums i remember i saw them live the first thing that caught my eye was the guy was playing two ride cymbals which i'd never seen and then uh i'm looking straight ahead two ride cymbals no one on each side (laughs) it's like one on the left one on the right sorry i should have clarified that (laughs) and i'm looking at his drum set and i'm like what the fuck is that thing right ahead of me hanging off of his bass drum and the the maniac actually had a boat propeller that he drilled a hole through and mounted it and put it on a cymbal stand and he was whacking this fucking thing and I had no clue what the hell it was. But uh, I was lucky enough to see them live at the Roxy in Huntington in 95, I think it was. I met him beforehand. He was total sweetheart. And then by the time they played, it was probably about 2 a.m. And then Chuck, however you want to say it, Skuldiner, Schulner, whatever the last name was, uh, met him and he was a great guy too. And... Uh, that that album just floored me drumming wise and uh from top to bottom and then symbolic was after that and that probably even pushed it in even farther but love that one shout out to richard christie when yeah he joined yeah. The band. there you go so. i love bands like that though too because i i remember getting death scream bloody gore and yep. stuff but their every album was a complete progression yep that they, got, they got so technical by the end of it and then he passed and mm-hmm. stuff but uh yeah that was that's a great album yeah yeah all right, my number four is um, from a band uh, from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, the singer fucking kills it. He he's an amazing singer. The guitars definitely sounded like very jawboxish, uh, very different. When I when all my friends were listening to hardcore, um, I was watching MTV and the video for the Afghan Wigs Debonair came on, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And the song was just so different. And from that moment on, I was a huge Afghan Wigs fan. The record is called Gentlemen. And to this day, like Gentlemen and then Black Love came out after. And those were like the, the one-two punch. But the lyrics to Gentlemen, the whole record, um, I can't recommend it enough. Um, I think it did, like it formed like my songwriting. Like a lot of the guitar stuff, like when I, when I saw that, I was just like, I want to be in the Afghan Wigs. So that's my shit. Greg Dooley. Good stuff. You know, uh... That's my number four. Langan, number three. My number three is uh, Carcass's Heartwork. Um, is that the debut? No. Uh, see, they, they, when they came out, they were so like, they were almost like grindcore, and I really don't like grindcore. It's ridiculous. I can't get into grindcore either. <laughs> it's like, it's really funny to read the song titles, and that, that's about it. But uh, they evolved, again, like Death, like evolved into a because they just got better at their instruments and this and that. And this album was a big leap from what they used to sound like. And uh, the precision on it, the melody, 
with the death metal vocals. That's what I needed to get me into that band because it was too much before that. I've gone back and revisited it, and I like it now a little bit, but at this time in my life, I wasn't hearing it. But uh, Certain things you just need that gateway for. Absolutely, and this was accessible to me. It made sense to me musically, yeah. and it wasn't just noise, and uh, it's it was way ahead of its time. Um, but uh, yeah, Carcass is hard work. I hope you didn't have that one. I, did. I hope I didn't take your pick. Did you? Yeah, Number carcass. three also. I oh, shit. Nice, cool. <laughs> All right, so you want to speak on that? Uh yeah, I mean I remember seeing the video for Heartwork and I was just like, what in the fuck? Like I was like, how is this guy singing like this? It was yeah. the the voice caught me first, but then hearing the uh you know the blast beats and the double bass and then uh, the riffs are ridiculous. Yeah, I the, yeah. the fact that they had uh, I think it was Bill Steer and somebody Amit was the other guitarist and what I loved about the the liner notes in the uh in the album was you know it would be like lead steer lead am and i was like holy shit they're telling you like who the fuck is soloing on this yeah. i thought it was so fucking cool to have two lead guitarists in a band and uh i, I forget how i found out that they were playing but me and three friends when we were 16 years old we found out that they were playing in lemores in brooklyn and we went and i don't know how the fuck we got in 16 years old cuz you probably shouldn't have fucking got in there and I remember that there was 10 opening bands. It seemed like there was 10 opening bands. They were grind course. Yeah. They were done in like yeah. 13 minutes. Maybe it was only eight. <laughs> they backlined. I, yeah. And I, and I remember the band playing before them. There was a huge Heartwork poster on the stage. And I remember the, the singer of the band before them ripped the poster off and wiped his ass with it and <laughs> threw it into the crowd. For real? And I was like, what the fuck, man? I'm here Whoa. for that band, you know? And then uh, Carcass came on and just fucking destroyed it. I was like, holy fuck. You yeah. know, they were great. And then, uh, you know, then Swan Song. I was a big fan of Swan Song. And then uh, they did, like, wake, wake Up and Smell the Carcass. And they broke up and went away. And the one guy joined Arch Enemy, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then they came back harder than Then ever, they came man. back. Yeah. And then I saw them in the city in, uh, what was that, 05? Oh, no, 07 or whatever the hell it was. Um and they were fucking great, so I can't yeah. say enough fucking good things about that album. They're amazing. That's another and, front to back for and me. If you're not familiar with them either, I love that. Even though I wasn't that into the first couple albums, they all their song titles. I guess one of the guys in the band, all medical, sister, was a nurse. Yeah, it's and they all took medical. A medical book, and they just wrote these horrific like medical conditions. That yeah, are ridiculous. And the samples on the one before Heartwork are fucking yeah. brutal, man. Yeah. Good know, stuff, but, though. Yeah. You guys like death? I get it. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't get into. I didn't get into Carcass until way later. Yeah. And I probably mm-hmm. threw you. Yeah. yeah. And that was the first time that I realized that music could be that heavy, but also that melodic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And make sense. Yeah. There yeah. was melody in that that was like unlike any other heavy record I'd ever heard. Definitely. Uh, I yeah. was a big sucker for anything heavy with melody. Mm-hmm. So and that, that'll be my number one album. Um, Carcass. <laughs> we already no. did it three way tie <laughs> Chris what's your number three mine was Nirvana in utero cool mm-hmm. um, I remember being disappointed when it first came out I and still it am took <laughs> took a little bit of time to really like sink in for me but I remember feeling and reading a lot of interviews about it and just kind of understanding where his head was at and to just kind of know like what he did to just go against the label to like fight everyone that wanted them to make Nevermind again and then actually be like, you know what? We're going to go to Steve Albini. We're, we're going to do everything you don't want us to do. 
and we're gonna name the record like I think they wanted to name it Rape Me at one point. Like I think they did, yeah. They were arguing through the like they were pushing back on everything and I just really like just the just hearing that record and, and knowing what went into it and especially now that I've gotten older and how it's settled in, um, is why I couldn't put it one, but I had to make sure it got mentioned on my list. It when I first got it, I thought Heart Shaped Box was a shitty first single, especially in retrospect. I didn't like it. There's better songs on there. There's better songs that, on yeah. there, but I get it, you know, as far as why it came out. Um, and I think that's the band that they were more than the band that was Nevermind. Sure. So to me, it sounded like a prettier bleach. Mm-hmm. It was just more, it was just better produced. Um, but there's some really good songs on there. Milk It. Milk It's great because it's noise. It's what they, mm-hmm. I feel like what they were. They were an indie rock noise band from, on Sub Pop, you know, that somehow got Butch Vig and they got, you know, they produced this record and it just was very hit, hit stru- it at the right time, man. Yeah, very yep. structured. Um, and then they, they, they tried a bunch of stuff like Sent- Sentless Apprentice all the way to All Apologies. They covered all the bases. Tourette's completely fucking mm-hmm. bizarre song, but they threw it on there. Um, they had a lot of flavors on that. Even the song Dumb. What a great mellow, yeah. you know, like the lyrics on that. Um, and I think Butch, I'm, I'm sorry, Steve Albini, right? He released his version. They released his version of the of the mix because the label sent it off to someone else. They were unhappy with the mix and they wanted it to be more like uh, pop sounding. And so they sent it off. So the record, the version we have and the version that was like later released now, like on vinyl and whatnot is. You can get the original mixes of that oh, of what got, that was supposed to sound like. I didn't know that. I yeah. gotta get that. That, that. That's probably sounds amazing. Cool. Um, <clears throat> it's my turn. Number three. No, no well, I, I, he, he I backed up artwork. Right. Uh, my number three comes from the slums of Shaolin. <laughs> okay, it has the Rizza. It has the Jizza. My number one. It has the old dirty bastard inspected deck, <laughs> you god, ghostface killer, and the method man. Um, 30, uh, 36 Chambers, Wu Tang Clan. I remember getting the single for the actual song, Method Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like just different. It was super catchy. Uh, and you could tell Method Man was definitely the star. And then I heard Mystery of the Chess Box, and yeah. it was just, man, it was gutter. I remember seeing the videos from, like, Protect Your Neck, and, like, what the fuck is that? The grimiest shit. It was scary. It's totally. Yeah. It gave me the same thrill like Metal did when I was There's something dangerous about yeah. it, and I wanted... Like, when you saw King Diamond, you were like, oh, <laughs> I'm a little, you know, so they were they were like the black King Diamond. But, you know, with, like, you know, the face is blocked out, and the... Just yeah, amped up yelling and some projects abandoned. Pro- like I it was just, so New York and so gutter. So New York, like the beats hit you, like just they hit you like a punk or a hardcore song. Yeah, and just the urgency that it they, was punk. Yeah, it was like yeah. when you think of you know what we all think punk is, it had that vibe and it was just very, very anti-establishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that they did, they did. I love the appeal too of the, uh, and I'm just chiming in because it's my number one. Absolutely. Is, um, the different having that many guys in a hip hop group hadn't been done that had such unique deliveries. 
That's another thing. There you was like I mean? eight or nine. Well, technically nine. Uh, that's crazy. That could have just been it. solo guys to begin with. Yeah. And they were together. You know, you got well, I guess. Well, and then Grave Diggers actually preceded. Is that the word? Um, they made Grave Diggers first. For real? Yeah. That They made that in like 91. And it didn't come out till after because no one wanted to put it out. But after Wu-Tang hit. I guess they were like, okay, now we can put out, you know, Grave Diggers because people want everything to do. Well, RZA had an album out before. Yeah. The Genius did, right? That was it pretty much. Absolutely. The only thing I could think that rivals it is is Mob Deep's, you Mm. know, The Infamous as far as like just that quintessential sound. Absolutely. Um, But that album sounds like completely polished compared to (laughs) 36 Chambers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like even the production for the RZA, there'll be little parts like a beat that maybe you you would think he'd chop off, but just left it. It was yeah. just great samples, yeah. and then you you take like a song like Cream, right? Cream is like the ultimate. I mean, I can't think of a better hip hop song. You know that sample, that piano riff that that RZA was so good at getting. Mm-hmm. Like what a fi- like it's very minimalistic, but it it it, it worked. I mean, yeah. to me, it it top five hip hop albums of all time. Yeah, maybe even discussion for the greatest hip hop album of all yeah. time, in my opinion, but. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. All right. So that's my number three. That's your number one. So what's your number two? Uh, my number two is Midnight Marauders mm. by Tribe Called Quest. Um, tough to follow up the low-end theory, you know, but they yeah. did it, I think. I mean, I'm still probably low-end theory. Uh, low-end theory. A little bit more, but it's amazing. I remember when it came out, it was a perfect time. I was in New, New York City a lot. Listen to that New York yep. City in that year in '93. It. It's just the soundtrack of that city to me. It's so special. It's the samples are great. Uh, I, it's it's the last album of theirs that was any good, in my opinion, too. So it's like when the swan when song. Stir It Up hits and you hear that that horn, and then it goes to a ward tour. I mean, what a electric relaxation yeah. is ridiculous it's one of the smoothest fucking hip-hop tracks ever yeah. the chase part two is another one but uh when that came out and i was in college in binghamton i mean we played it like non-fucking stop non-stop like beastie boys check check your head kind of just it just stayed well, on ha- anybody's dorm you went on that was playing it was they, playing out the windows of every dorm it was just they on. had that appeal so it was tropical quest and beastie boys unless you're parker and you probably like Neither of them. He hates. I'm the more Beastie of a crisscross guy myself. So. <laughs> Do you like the Beastie Boys, Chris? Yeah. The fucking guy. He's the only guy I've ever met. I actually like... didn't know that. And my wife. <laughs> he two told people. me. That's why he they're married. He told me recently. You guys had that one. Who was was Dan Turk? Turk? Yeah. yeah. And I remember being like, and he was like, "Oh, I hate it all." I was yeah. like, "How do you?" <laughs> Hates Jane's Addiction and the Beastie And he Boys. probably likes them too. I like Jane's Addiction. There you go. Quite a Just bit, actually. So there you go. How do you listen to Nothing Shocking and think it's terrible? That's like one of the best albums ever. Oh. We, I, I mean, just I, I'm like, I thought everyone liked the Beastie Boys. Not even I for the drumming, so Jane's Addiction? Nah. Doesn't Stephen Brickens know? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing? Didn't make it. Didn't make the top five. <laughs> top 500. So. <laughs> cool. Tribe Called Quest, yeah. uh, number, what are we, two? Two. So I didn't realize we did the thing when we matched, but. Where you been for me? Dinosaur Junior was okay. two. Um, reasons why I'm they probably outside of REM, Dinosaur Junior is probably my favorite band. This record, because keep in mind, right? He kicked out Lou Barlow, then he puts out Green Mind, and it's basically just Jay. And this was the record that he had a band again because Mike Johnson joins, Murph comes back, 
now he's got a full band. He just that's song not the same where it's just he sings in that falsetto voice with the timpanis behind him. Like it was heart wrenching. I thought that that record for him was a masterpiece. Absolutely. Through and through. I think I I think I like Green Mind more. Mm-hmm. But boy, is it fucking neck and neck on those two albums. Green Mind's a little a little country twangier. Um, but I love the songs on that. Gone Away might be like my favorite Dinosaur Jr. song ever. The wagon I love gets me. I live for that look. I guess just fucking, man, that's some bangers. Somebody said that he dated Uma Thurman and all those songs are about her. What? Yeah. I, w- I would love to know if that's true. <laughs> yeah. I really no. would love to know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I heard he liked her feet. Get the fact checkers on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to who, who? Hugo. Hugo's our fact checker. <laughs> yeah, right. do me a favor, Hugo, and hate blasts later on a thread when I... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Dinosaur Jr., can't say enough, definitely. Uh, and it's funny that you say R.E.M. is the other band. What's your favorite R.E.M. record? I just want to let you know if you're wrong or right. <laughs> uh, so... For me, it's and it's just the time era I was born in. It's automatic for the people. Me too. Yeah. Ah, man, but everybody else is sick. gonna say absolutely that's not. The right like, answer. I love. You're, you're I love Murmur. I love Out of Time. There's records I love. I actually, I think Malamo actually posted. Somebody had put up a link of the top records, and just they were completely out of order for me because I was just like, <laughs> I think I did. It's the time era you grew up in, yeah. like, like. The, one of my favorite Cure records is Wish. Wish and everyone it. hates it. God, that's what? their last great We're, record. Yo, for me. Ta- yo, I'm on point with this guy yep. right here. He's but it, it. it is an age thing because Wish. Sure. You could, t- I could, a letter to Elise. That's my like, favorite song on that fucking, record. Are you out of your that's mind? My favorite song are you on out that of record. Your mind? Absolutely. Like that shit fucking hits you in the stomach. Edge of the deep green sea. This come so much on, good man. Shit on. Yeah. Automatic, like Night Swimming is the best song ever yep. written. I Night could do without hearing Everybody Hurts ever again. Whatever. And, and I, and I think moon. that that's mostly just because of the, how how played out Absolutely. it was. Absolutely. And Man on the Moon. But other than that. No, I love Man on the Moon. I love The Side Wonder Sleeps Tonight and Try Not to Breathe. Uh, it's oh, an yeah. incredible record. I love the instrumental, the New Orleans yeah, instrumental, man, everything about it. That record is, that's my shit right there. So before I, before I even just. But it didn't come out in 93. So we digress. <laughs> <laughs> But I just wanted to, you know. I, He's I, right. He I gave the right answer. For <laughs> real. All right, good, good. I didn't want to correct them. That's why. Parker, what's your number two? Number two, Sepultura Chaos A Day. Mm. All right. So first thing I see is uh, the territory video, and I'm just like, what the fuck are these guys fucking wearing? Fucking covered in mud. Friggin' oh, yeah. have the whole Brazilian tribe behind them. I feel like you were confused by many things when you watched. This. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. But uh, it was just just another album that brought the drums to the forefront. Crazy I mean, drums. it was uh, the songwriting was well, the drumming was a little bit simpler than Arise, not mm-hmm. that much simpler. Different, uh, different. Yeah. yeah, and it definitely brought more of the uh, the percussion into it i mean just that opening drum beat on territory was in, yes. was insane and then you know you get into uh Kiowas where they have you know the jam session with the igor acoustic. does not get enough yeah. respect yeah and he really should yep. um there's he, a, do, he does here yeah there's yeah. a lot of there's actually a lot of uh videos on youtube if you just type in drum uh igor cavalera drum cam and it's fucking amazing. Yeah. I, I could fucking watch that shit for hours. And it's just him, you know, behind the set playing playing songs. Um, and then after that, you know, Roots, another great album. Um, definitely kind of 
that was kind of like the quintessential like percussion album I call that that's like when he fucking just went crazy and just his set was huge you know on that tour but uh, everything from Refuse, Resist to Clench Fist, that's just, uh, it's my favorite Sepultura album. Yeah, that's a great opener. Yeah. Once once you hear that opener, you're like, okay, this this record's amazing. Yeah. And then Territory comes in. Yep. Yeah. Uh, man, Propaganda's on there. Yep. Just, it's, it, it's so aggressive. It's like war on a fucking trap yeah. yeah. in well, the they, CT. And they took like their, um, you know, they couldn't get any faster than they were on those ra- the earlier records. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Like, at that point, they did what, like, you know, Slayer did with, uh, uh, you know, South of Heaven. Like, at some point, you're like, okay, now we just have to bring it down and just yeah. be heavy. So where do you go from that? You know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so my number two is a, a record, like, as a songwriter, you know, which, you know, uh, I'm a songwriter. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, just, I like writing songs. Um when I first heard Quicksand Slip, it blew my fucking mind. I heard Dine Alone, and I couldn't even figure out what that guitar riff was. Uh, where you listen to certain Kirk Hammett playing or like all these like thrash dudes, like you kind of get an idea of what's going on. I was listening to the, the, this riff on Dine Alone from Quicksand, and I couldn't even get it. And then the 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 lead kicks in with Tom Capone, and it's like just these minimal notes. But they hit at just the right point. Um, the production on the record obviously isn't that great, and you know later on they they all said that, especially Walter. But the songs from you know beginning to end just uh, just so like that cassette did not leave my player for like years. You know to this day I could still listen to it, watching their reunion shows like. I think Walter Schreifels is like one of the best songwriters I've ever heard from Quicksand to rival schools to his solo stuff, walking concert. Everything that guy does is amazing. But Quicksand Slip is my number two nice. at my ripe old age of 15. <laughs> uh, and then well, you, yeah, yeah you, I had Wu-Tang, but uh, let me just, I'll just throw out there. Throw, throw an honorable mention. You had honorable mention to dark throne under a funeral moon and <laughs> mayhem's death crush. <laughs> It birthed a genre, an entire genre with those. You got tickets to Mayhem. I cannot believe Mayhem is playing in fucking Amityville. John Scanlon from ECC hooked it up. out. That is going to be interesting. You know, obviously, the allure of the whole story and stuff is what carries them and stuff like that. But, and I wasn't ready to hear this music back then. Kind of got into it after the fact. (laughs) And I get it. I fucking get it. But, uh, it just... They birthed and they created an entire genre out of just, you know what I mean? Like they birthed an, uh, a metal genre out of nothing. There was nothing even close to that heavy. They invented it, and I came to like it. Now, Dark Throne's one of my favorite bands. So, shout out. Preach. Yes. Uh, number one, Chris. So, yeah. Again, I didn't realize that we did the matching thing, sure, sure. but mine was Afghan Wigs, gentlemen. Okay. So, for me, um, Wait, was that your number one or number two? That was my number one. What, what's your number two? Dinosaur Jr. Oh, Where really? you been? Yeah. What was your number three? My number three was... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> I'm completely fucking with you. All right, yeah, gentlemen, go ahead. Yeah, so the song, My Curse, that he couldn't sing, and he had to have a female sing it, like, just because it was too personal to him, just that record is, to me, just the epitome of a heart-wrenching personal introspective record that honestly i i just don't think they make records like that anymore it's honest and raw 
and the album cover is awesome too because it's these are like two kids like yeah. kids but it's a female and a male and it's just it's weird because it's two kids and they're kind of like in this relationship <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> very know? yeah you know um but yeah what a fucking record i became obsessed with the fact that he reused lyrics in a pattern from one of the songs so yes! the very first song absolutely and then he redoes it again for fountain and fairfax and i became like obsessed with all these little pieces and intricacies of that record and it's just it's got this like memphis feel to it at times like they the were guitars oh it's just, just like, it's it's an unreal record melody. that still to this day is probably like in my would be a desert island disc for me like i can never get tired of it. it's a top 10 album for me for sure um what did you think of black love the record after so by the time Black Love had come out, I think I had started, as we talked about earlier, like I was already so getting into hardcore and I was kind of pushing away um, so much of that genre that I never really gave it a full listen and probably still haven't. Um, you have to. But I'm a huge fan of like Up In It. You, you, what the, the ones that came The oh, ones before. The ones before. Congregation. Congregation, I'm yeah. a huge fan of. I have listened to, we used to listen to it at the Pearson studio I worked at, and I'd be, I know the songs, but I never really fully, deeply put myself in that record. You have to. You have to listen to Black Love one day. Well, I mean, you know, 10 years from now, but you have access to it. It's fucking fantastic. It's just as good as Gentlemen. That's their one two punch. Yeah can't recommend it and speaking of a band though have you listened to their new i've i've not checked out their newest record love it's good yeah i haven't like they've been just completely off my radar like i say i sit down to spotify what am i going to listen to for some unknown reason they never pop in my head i got interested in him in Dooley again when he teamed up with lanigan i kind of put him back on a twilight yeah no it wasn't twilight it was the The gutter gutter twins twins, yeah yeah because those are two of my favorite voices together yeah and they worked great i was like man i gotta listen to afghan wigs again and i um, I love that people call you lanigan (laughs) there's a there's a record that Dooley produced by a band called Th- uh, Throneberry that is fantastic from that time era also. And he sings on like one or two of the tracks. Nice. From 93? Might have been more like, nine. it might have been 92, 93. Okay. I'll have to look it All up. Right. Cool. Well, here we go. What could this well, number one I got be? a couple honorable <laughs> mentions first. <laughs> got to build it a little bit. Shaq? We got... Life of Agony, River Runs Red. Of course. That came out in that year? Yeah. Oh, wow. Typo Negative, Bloody Kisses. Yep. Tool Undertow, Primus Pork Soda, Entombed Wolverine Blues, and Morbid Angel Covenant. Morbid Angel came up a lot, too. Yeah. Today. Yeah. yeah. What well, that record is, the one, you know, that's like the, the, the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So number one. Yes. Is it the WWF record? I'll again? give you a hint. It's a band that I've never seen live. <laughs> it is Metallica Live Shit Binge and Purge. Okay, that's not even an album. <laughs> like I said, it's got nothing to do with the music. What? It's got nothing to do with the drumming. It's got to do with the collection, you know, display that's the box value. Set. Yeah, it's right over there. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Listen. Oh, yeah. So it is. comes with. Three VHS tapes. Thank God I got five. You know, five VHS. You know, VCRs ready to go. I was working uh, at the records. I would have stole that shit probably, but it was too big. Best I'm part about the whole it. thing is just the Injustice for All tour. Oh, I was obviously too young to go to that, and that yeah. that's worth it right there for the box set. You were too young to go to it then, but what what happened the next? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. What, what happened what, the next what about twenty the next... years after that? Yeah. 
<laughs> he, was, yeah. he was waiting for the Metallica reunion. That's to it. Happen. Let's do it. Bring back Cliff. Waiting for Newstead. <laughs> <laughs> Two days ago was the uh, actually Cliff Burton day. Yeah. Uh, he was waiting for Echo Brain to open. Nice. <laughs> Oof. Okay, so I'm going to do my number one because I guess I'm the last one. So um, my life at 15 revolved around one band, and it, uh, I think if I think about it, Kirk Hammett made me wish I could play the guitar. Greg Ginn from Black Flag kind of made me realize that I can make noise, uh, and Billy Corgan made me, uh, he just made me want to write songs. They had the heaviest guitars. Yeah. With the like, we I heard Cherub Rock and I was like, "What the that fuck?" That song's so good. Siamese Dream is like fucking amazing. Flawless. Sonic mayonnaise. Sonically, it's fucking flawless. Fucking mayonnaise, yeah. Geek USA, fucking like just Rocket Hummer, like I can't like. I mean, the shittiest song is probably Disarm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean that got played a lot, but like you know that's. That song hit you That's in the feels when it came yeah, out, man. Exactly. I don't know. Um, that record's just amazing. And when we were younger, we used to take fucking Ecstasy, the one with the heroin in it, you know, because it was the good kind. <laughs> um, listen, 19... You guys ruined that shit stepping Wait, on it. 19... <laughs> like, I mean, Swedish Fish. I'm, nine, <laughs> nine, 19 year, I'm 19 years sober. I can't reminisce a little bit here, you know. Um... But yeah, that record, like, and we would, this is, we we would seek the acoustic versions. We would buy uh, the Euphoria, so I had the VHS tape, and then we would find these, like, bootlegs of, like, it's like, holy shit, we found acoustic mayonnaise. Oh, my God. Like, I played mayonnaise and today at my friend's wedding, and it was, like, the best fucking shit ever. They asked my band, like, they you know, they had bands play, and they, they wanted mayonnaise to be their wedding song. What a fucking treat. So. I hated on that record when it came out. Did you? I was a huge fan of uh, Gish. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was a huge fan of the Lull EP. Okay. Sure. And that record just sounded too commercial to me. But now, going back, sonically, it's just, there's nothing like it. Just that, those layers of guitars that they have that, like, Eha was churning out at that time. But I hated that record until, right. like, maybe seven years ago where I just rediscovered it and, like, fell in love with it. Wow, that's didn't crazy. even buy it. Wouldn't even buy wow. it. I was I was hating on it that much. I get it. Like, well, you uh, probably see it now. Like that was the logical step for them to take as a band yeah. and puff out the sound a little bit and this and that. But but Gish is such a different record. Uh, great record. It's just like this psychedelic, like soloing fucking like rhinoceros. Just, still one of my favorites. Yeah, it's songs. just like a fucking amazing rock record. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just. Siamese Dream was a complete left turn. It definitely was. But sonically, I didn't even give a shit. It was just the actual songs, those melodies, those choruses. Right. Like I it, mean, it's a big, it's a big record. That's yeah. the one thing. It's got so much space on the like on in in your headphones. Like it's just, but yet it's it's heavy and tight. It's so hard to explain. Sure. But for me, it's like. The Lully P came out, and I felt like, you know, you had By June on it, right? And I, I just thought, like, that's the progression they were going to make, right? They were going to have maybe Darcy start to take a, a little bit more into the forefront, and she kind of stepped back on that record a little bit. It just was a record I hated on for a long time until I finally sat down and gave it a hard listen. What, what did you think of uh, the double album after? Didn't even buy it. 
Wow. I don't think I've ever even listened to it all the way through. Jesus Christ. That's some good shit. You know, like I, 1979, that's I, I, beautiful, I, I, man. I, I, you I love that song. You didn't mistakenly like walk into the supermarket and bodies. hear anyone. <laughs> no, like bodies. there's definitely like songs that I can pick up here and there, but it was mostly the songs that were on the radio. And I'm sure I have friends that like Despite of it. your rage, you're still just a yeah. rat in a cage. <laughs> Worst song on There was an EP yeah. that I wish I could have put on, though, but Best Kissers in the World's EP that came out that year in 93 was Puddin' was fantastic. Oh yeah, and never. it's out of print. You can't find it anywhere. It's not on the internet. It's not on YouTube. There's wow. one song, and that's it. All right. Well, Smashing Pumpkins, yada yada. It's fantastic. <laughs> Siamese Dream. If you haven't heard it, you know you might want to pick it up. Travel back to 1993. Living under a rock. Um, so, but yeah, uh, going back to the blasphemy that we were just talking about, I think Chris should go. Uh, and listen to some replacements records. There's a lot of things from back then. He hates Paul Westerberg. We uh, learned. You know, I I, I, I was... just think those songs <laughs> broke up the flow of the single soundtrack. That and the Love Mongers were a little uh, bit of a weird placement. The Hendrix. That's a great song, but it, it was, was a good song. It, it, it was. It worked a little bit, but I think that those three popped out a little oddly on that soundtrack. Right. All right, well, uh, that's it. I guess this is episode 27. Yeah. If you, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're listening, okay? You're listening to it on either SoundCloud, iTunes, or just on the Google bar there because I'm lazy, personally. I don't know about you guys. You guys could do stuff, too, if you want, but me, personally, I, I think those three platforms are enough. <laughs> if you can't find it there, you can go fuck yourselves. Yeah, come on. But if you haven't subscribed to the show and you like the show, please do so on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, leave a review because supposedly that means something. I don't know what that means. But... That's what I'm told. That's, yeah. what, the, that's <laughs> what the kids tell me. Uh, and it's cool, you know, like I still get texts from people that have discovered the show and they start listening to it. And it's, I don't know, it's nice, I guess. Like you're just listening to us babble and yeah. bring what we do on that podcast group to life yeah. you know so i, I kind of dig oh, it that makes me happy if i hear people listening join yeah it's nice yep you know, thank you so, uh yeah thank you and this <laughs> this episode making me feel nice this episode's gonna come out right before the sky came falling reunion show so if you're listening to this go to the show probably tomorrow yes you get what i'm saying right oh i see what you did. see what i'm saying that's how they do it in the business <laughs> Right. Cool. I'm gonna go watch Bill Maher or go to the Slayer show. I'm not really too sure. So. Hmm. One of the two. And and then next week, no, well, next episode. Why not both? Next next episode, I'll talk about my uh, the time that I ate shrooms and went to the hospital that I said I was gonna say on yes. the next show. Yes. <laughs> I want to hear that. I'll, I'll save it for the next. Uh, okay. Cool. Thank you for doing this, Chris. Thank you yeah, for coming thanks, in from far away. Cool. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for coming to your drummer's house. Yes. It's my pleasure. You guys practicing after this? Yeah, let's do it. Boom. All right. We got everybody. Yeah, we got, we got a band right here. Yeah. yeah.